Welcome, welcome, welcome to Bard's Backlog, episode number 31. I am your host, Josh Gallegos, joined as always by my cohort, my casual co-host, Jared Benson. Jared, it has been some time. We have really put off (laughs) recording episodes, but part of it was because we have been so enthralled and focused on Elden Ring, and we really wanted to be prepared for this one, so I am looking forward to the conversation. Of course, this is Bard's Backlog, um, the ever-growing catalog of video games inducted into the Hall of Games. We are the gatekeepers and potentially subsequent executioners of any video game candidate, including today's. You can support our podcast on social media or, of course, by talking to us directly we'd love that uh, to hear from you guys you can write in at our email askvgb at gmail.com or over social media um i know i am at video game bard on twitter and jared is at jared t ben uh last time we discussed um what did we talk about last time the previous episode I believe it's just was, ds3 it said it's it was it dark souls 3 I, I could be wrong. You I know what? Remember. I don't think I've uploaded that episode. So we're actually on episode 32, and I need to get that episode up, so that's my bad. We could have had another one of these up here. Oh, because the problem was we had Bloodborne sitting in the wings as well, and yes. I ended up putting that one off, so I uploaded that one and wanted to give it some air to breathe and then just never uploaded another one, so that's totally my bad, but... Um, we'll get that one up there. So this is actually number 32, and the last one was Dark Souls. So you're right. You're right. Absolutely right. Also an awesome game. And very sad, honestly, with our decision on that. I, I, for some time, Jared, did say that Dark Souls 3 was my favorite one. So to not put it in the Hall of Games does kind of hurt a little. But, I mean, what are you going to do with so many great from software titles? You have to draw the line somewhere, you know? Uh, you do. You really do. I have to. I, um... I I feel like I don't know. I it's it's hard to say. I had a conversation with a friend today and he and I were discussing why we like certain FromSoft games the most, uh, uh what do we prefer and different things like that. And he was saying that DS3 while an improvement on the combat doesn't live up to DS1. And we we don't really know why, but it's like tone, vibe, mood, a bunch of things. It doesn't have the same impact, and maybe it's because it's just not original, right? It's sure. a tale as old as time, round two, um, because you know DS2 doesn't really it counts, but it doesn't count, and so it's um, you know it's it's hard to vocalize to it. But I think it was the right decision. I yeah. really don't. I, I think we got it right. So you know, but it I is think, sad, yes, because it's a beautiful game. I think part of it, and something that Elden Ring solves, is a very well interconnected world that the first one had Elden Ring has and three just you had those hubs it was it felt more like Bloodborne because of that so um yeah I think that kind of lost a little bit and then it was very much looking back at one and trying to be that as opposed to forging its own path which yes to two's credit like you can say they at least tried something there unique yes Um, but nonetheless check out that episode when I get it up I will I'll get that up this weekend, I promise. Uh, I totally forgot that that was even there. Sorry, man. May was crazy for me. Let me just say that. 
Yeah, busy, busy, busy. Wild. That the last month at Pensacola Christian Academy is madness. And I was having a lot of teeth problems. I didn't tell you this, Jared, but I had to get a root canal done. And then I had to get a crown on. Oh, man. And it was rough. And it was in the middle of, of the week. Every day I had to go take care of it and then come back to school and teach after. And half my face was slack. So it was just... It, oh, my goodness. There was a lot going on. And we moved at the beginning <laughs> of the month, and we were trying to get everything... It was just... There's just a lot going on, so... Um, unfortunately, this had to take a back burner. And that is what hey, this show a- is, unfortunately. You know, if you guys want to, yes. you know, yeah. support us, just let us know. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we'll take your money. But otherwise, yeah, well, yes. this is something we're doing of our own volition in our own free time. So we're just going to have sporadic episodes... Nonetheless, Jared, before we jump into our first segment, the games we play in, I have a question for you. Would you ever protest? No. I have before, and it was a bad decision. Uh, uh, when you say protest, I assume you mean like, like pick, organized. Like, yeah, like grab a sign, march. Yeah, no. Chant. No, because because there's been so many protests that are representative of, and they're good barometers of public opinion, for sure. How many people can we get out to protest for this thing? But I would not protest unless it was an annual thing. And the ideas behind the protests were very, very well thought out, um, like the annual protests that take place in D.C. on specific events, right? Like sure. there's, uh, there's, there's those are much more thought out. Sometimes they've had, you know, hundreds of thousands of people to those. So it's a movement at that point, right, instead of just an emotional reaction. For instance, the George Floyd incident looked a lot more cut and dry than it actually was. And I don't really want to speak too much on that, but... I did go protest for that um, because I felt like this was a step too far. Yeah, uh, yeah. And abs- and I still believe that. But there were things that came to light afterwards that certainly made each of those protests look like the 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 um, the precursor to violent looting and rioting, which yeah. followed that summer. And so that was not good at all. And I didn't want to be associated with that at all. Um, yeah, that sucks it when it gets kind of hijacked right, in that way. Right. right, exactly. And so it's like you got to be careful with stuff like that because as much as we hate to admit it, there is a kind of guilt by association. Um, that's how we humans think. So, you know, it is what it is. I feel like I what am not. What made you think of that? I, I just I wanted to know if you had ever protested or if you ever would. It's just a thought. I, one of the things my one of my students asked me, or not asked me, it was something they said as a seventh grader, which they're they're pretty uh they're they're not fully developed at that age so uh they have some weird <laughs> things to say from time to time but they were like uh we were playing a game called sub sub don't know if you've ever played that but it's kind of like a mix between no. charades clue and telephone um and one of the things you have to do is you pick three different categories that you're gonna act out through charades and one of them is an object one is an occupation and then the other is a location so for the occupation or job one of the kids said protester and I was like, protester? 
And she's like, yeah, that's a job you get paid for. I was like, no. <laughs> I mean, not normally. I mean, I guess in some, some dark some money do. schemes you do, but for the most yeah. part like it's it's like voluntary like it's for a cause it's not like a a career choice um right maybe for some people it is but um <laughs> anyway just thinking about that and then thinking about the fact that like honestly i've i've never done it i've always thought that it was an interesting thing i know it was kind of trendy during that george floyd situation to go and do it a lot of my friends did it which had had never done it before and i don't think i've done it since so I don't know. Just curious about it. I think that there's some things that are very important to protest about. And I feel like, obviously, uh, Democrats and the left and the more liberal-minded people are a lot more active in that regard. And sometimes I wonder if me, as someone who's a bit more traditional and conservative, like, if I were to be a part of a movement that I believed in, like, are maybe if there was one like that at the level that you see in places like Washington DC, like would I go and, and would I actually put my, my mouth where my, my belief is, I guess. Um, yeah. So I don't know. It's just a thought, just a curiosity more than anything. Yeah. Uh, but nonetheless, we can jump into our segment here. The games we play in. If you can tell by the title, mostly we've been playing Elden Ring. But Jared, has anything else jumped into your purview? I know for a fact that you did touch Lego Star Wars, but otherwise, has anything else caught your fancy? Lucy and I started playing Unravel 2, um, which is um, a classic co-op game. Uh, Got the, your Yarny? You yeah, yeah. It didn't quite grab us, so we haven't played it in a couple weeks. Um, and then I've tried, desperately tried, to get into um horizon um forbidden west and i just don't like it as much as the first one so it, it's it's become more of a chore than i would have liked to but i i am planning on playing through that one completely it's just that it hasn't grabbed me and kept me as 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 well as elden ring has so uh not too much but those are the two do you find it less some. interesting just based on pure instinctive impression or do you have a formulated reason as to why you prefer the first one for some reason, the combat feels much clunkier. I don't know why. Huh. Um, I, I I don't know why, but it's not as good. It feels worse. So, I, and because combat is such a huge deal, uh, it's it feels like I'm. I don't know. It, it's yeah. like walking through mud. It's weird. It's like it just feels weird. So I don't care for it as much. But we'll figure it out. Maybe that's just my imagination. Really, I might need to go back and just play the first one real quick and be like, why do I sense that there's something different here? But that, that would be my reason, yeah. How about you, Josh? What are you playing? I have touched base on a few things. I went on a short trip to Fairhope, Alabama, and whilst there, I picked up Pac-Man Museum Plus, which has been really cool. Um, it has pretty much every Pac-Man game on there, except for Champion Edition, Championship Edition DE, and then also Championship 2, which are two of perhaps the best 
Pac-Man games, so it does not have those ones on there, but it's got everything else. So it runs the gamut from original Pac-Man through um, a weird, I think it's a Game Boy Advance one, um, where you kind of get transported to another world. They don't have, I know there are a few 3D ones on the N64, they don't have those, but I think it's a total of 17 different Pac-Man games for throughout the years. Whoa! And... It's cool. Like they've got they've got an arcade specific one that you can you can find in most arcades today, which is like a four player mashup one. Um, very battle. I think it's called like Pac Man Royale or something like that. Um, mm. So that's on there. It doesn't work as well as if it's in an arcade setting, but like you've got you've got a lot of content and um, a lot of interesting, unique twists on Pac Man that I didn't even know existed that have been around for decades. So it's it's cool to see just what other ideas they came up with the character, and then also how towards the end, especially some of their later titles, they really went back to its roots, and through games like Championship Edition, like just nailed the formula in a way that I don't think is ever going to be bested. Uh, but I love me some Pac-Man. I like older games. I like collecting uh, older experiences. So I got it, and it was what are they- it was fun. What- what do they call Pac-Man fans of that caliber? Packies, Packers, Packheads? <laughs> I don't, I don't know. Uh, Pac-Men. Oh, that makes sense. Oh, that's kind of obvious. Pac-Men. Pac- that the Pac-Men. Uh, that's that sounds yeah. like his. <laughs> I don't know his army of undead or something. Yeah. <laughs> so I got that, and then I also got the expansion to Binding of Isaac, and played a little Ooh. bit of that this week as well. It added so much content to it, and I can I can tell you, like even playing it for I think you know three hours probably uh i saw a lot of new stuff and such an interesting game you know i don't even know if i could say i love the game but it's addicting and i find it interesting in an objective way so i do enjoy i will admittedly say i do enjoy going back and playing the game from time to time i usually have it on my switch just kind of there in case i do kind of want to do a quick I don't know. It's a lot easier access to me as far as roguelike games are concerned than even Hades. Probably Hades or Dead mm. Cells would be the other two that I'd go for in that moment. Sure. But Binding of Isaac is just a little bit more straightforward. Um, sure. So just for quick runs, it's a lot easier in that regard. And then outside yeah. of that, well, um, sorry, what were you going to say? Well, with Hades, you know, that's that's something where towards the end of the, the game series, you're strategizing, planning you're deciding your own limitations, so it, it is more complex and nuanced for sure. You're so, going for builds. Yeah. Like you're going for right. specific exactly. builds. And same thing with Dead Cells. It's very you can get very strategic with it. And you can with Binding of Isaac. Like you technically can, but it takes a ton of work because it is insanely randomized. Like that's its whole thing. Right, right. Is that there right. are thousands of different enemies, thousands of different abilities, thousands of different ways that the game mixes it up on on the along the way, so you you can get caught up in the nitty-gritty if you do it too long, which I have in the past. I have put in some hours into the game. But uh, even just picking it up and playing it, it's, like, perfect for that. So, And then the other thing yeah. I was going to say is Tiny Tina's Wonderlands. Not sure if you know what that is, Jared, but it's, it's like... I've the, heard about it. It's basically the next Borderlands game, and it is everything you want from a Borderlands title, plus the Tiny Tina packaging is actually perfect because that was some of the best parts of the Borderlands series. So sounds weird. It's got a weird title, but it's really awesome. I want to play more of it, but Elden Ring has been just garnering all the attention. I think once I, 
finish out this next playthrough, I will put the game down and focus on Tiny Tina. But it's just, I'm, I'm enthralled in it. And we'll talk about that in just a second. Before we jump into our pick, let's do the strange, the changing, the bizarre default segment. Jared, your question that you brought up, or at least concept that you wanted to talk about, was Burnout, and not the franchise, as was made clear to me, but the idea of burning out on topics, burning out on passions, burning out on profession, I don't know, there's all kinds of things, right, that you can potentially, Mm -hmm. in your life, get to the place of burnout on. It's very important to take care of your own mental state. Uh, to take time off from things so that you don't hit burnout, but sometimes you got crunch mode, or sometimes you're just inundated with content to the level that you're burned out regardless. So, Jared, take it away. I'm not sure exactly what route you want to go with this, but I thought the entry point of discussing the Marvel series was a pretty good one. Yeah, so when I uh, originally formulated the question to Josh... Uh, I was describing my own experience with Marvel movies, which is to say that, like, I was burned out on Marvel. Like, I had no interest in watching the Marvel movies after um, uh, Infinity War Episode 2 or the second movie, whatever you want to say. Um, the the next one or two movies that came out after that, I was just, like, completely disinterested in. I still haven't seen the latest Spider-Man movie, the latest Doctor Strange movie. I haven't seen Eternals. But... My sister played this song in the car when I was recently up in Connecticut for her graduation, uh, which is part of the reason May was crazy for me as well. Um, she played this song, um, Lonely as a Man Without Love. I don't remember the actual name title, but it's a catchy, classic song. Great vocalist sings it. And it's one of the key songs in Moon Knight. And so I was like, what is this from? And she said, this is from Moon Knight, which we all watched as a family and we loved. So I was like, I got to give that a shot. So I watched Moon Knight, and it was such a refreshing take on – it was very Oscar Isaac-driven. He plays the lead. And it was such a refreshing take on incorporating a superpower into a life instead of a life into a superpower. Um, the focus was different. The lore – there was some lore in there, um, some some background, some context, some history. And it was a refreshing, refreshing change of pace. Limited series, six or seven episodes, something like that from the usual Marvel formula, which is almost like Michael Bay-ish, almost. It's like a family version of Michael Bay, which is big explosions, slight, slight, slight innuendo, right? And, um, you know, that's that's the Marvel and massive CGI budgets. So I was just burnt out on it. I didn't want to do it. But now I find myself looking at, like, the latest Spider-Man. It's like, I need to go see that. Because of how Moon Knight had kind of reawoken that, Oh, this, these can be really good. These can be fantastic. And I was wondering, my, my core question to direct the conversation was like, how do you, how do you, how do you refresh yourself and save yourself and, um, and do a 180 on burnout, Josh? Do a 180. Great question. Yeah. I, th- I don't know if I have the answer. How do you revivify things that you love? 
I yeah. really don't because I would love to hear the answer. Because <laughs> in some cases, I definitely fall out of love with something and feel burned out on something for long periods of time. Um, yeah. I do find myself eventually going back to things. So perhaps that is just at the end of the day, maybe you just need some time away. And yeah, that can be healthy. But yeah, I think in some instances, like you just you just got to be willing also to let things go. Like I'm yeah. at that place with Star Wars. <laughs> I can say that. Um, sure. I tuned into the first episode of Obi-Wan and like fell asleep halfway through. So I'm like, man, I don't know. Like, I don't know if it's ever going to be what it used to be. Um, so there's right. that. And like, the, there's also things on other topics other than just entertainment and con- consumer products. Uh, I mean, writing, like I, I used to write, vociferously i used to write all the time and i used to like do it every single week and i just i've fallen out of that for quite some time now and i would love to go back like that's not one i'd want to give up like as far as like being okay with it that's something i I don't think i'd ever want to eventually be there with but at the same time i'm not letting myself get beat up about it i'm just kind of allowing it to be away for now and when I have the motivation, when there's something that inspires me to get back into it, then I'll then I'll jump into it. Um, and maybe that's the wrong way to look at it. I don't know. Maybe it should be something that I'm a lot more motivated to try to pick back up and and put in the work hours and everything to uh, reinvigorate. You know, get the engine going again. But that's how I feel about most of the things. If I ever do end up burning out now, of course there are things it doesn't matter if you burn out or not. Like if you have a job, like you have to go and you have to be there and you have to push through. So in those instances, I would just say, Hey, make sure you have a work life balance. Make sure you're being careful with, you know, becoming obsessed or becoming even a workaholic in some way, because that can have detrimental effects on a lot of things. Um, yeah. But I don't I don't know if I have the answer, Jared. I, I honestly feel like I could get advice from you. So, like, what what do you think? Like, what, what's your thought on it? Because I'd love to hear yeah. how you might handle a situation like that. Now, I if I remember correctly, um, there's this uh, uh, industrial psychologist uh, named Adam Grant. He's pretty popular, arguably the most well-known industrial psychologist out there, organizational psych guy. And uh, he talks about burnout a lot. And he... I could be, I don't want to phrase him wrong. Uh, I would suggest y'all go look him up because he's got some good advice that I remember agreeing with. <laughs> I just can't remember the points. But I think one of them was, is to step back and give yourself space from the thing that's causing you burnout, sure, a mini vacation, but also to reintroduce challenge. Like if it's, if you're burnt out on it, it could be that there's no challenge because you've made it efficient or, um, or you've put too much challenge into it; it's wearing you out. So you got to either rein things in or open up the throttle. Either way, but it certainly seems to be that, um, like for instance, Lucy and I have a favorite song. We have our song, right? Mm. And w- one of the ways we keep that fresh is that we don't just listen to it on repeat, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, we would ruin it. We would hate it, and we'd rather it play at our wedding instead of um, instead of just listen to it all the time and ruin it. So you know, taking a step back and then maybe keeping things fresh and new. This is why uh, Elden Ring is such a good game because there's so many ways to play it. Like inside the endless complexity that is, you know, Miyazaki's mind is fresh takes on everything because it leaves yeah. a lot of room for um, exploration and interpretation. And 
maxing different stats, right? You could do a faith build or an arcane build, an intelligence build, a strength build, a dex build, you know, any kind of and, – and mix and match stamina, health, and mana to, like, um, to make, how, make that work, right? Like, it's totally up to you. And that's why these games last so long and have a freshness to them. Um, certainly things that are – like Hades. Do you have any desire to go back and play Hades? I do. Honestly, like, if if we lived in a perfect world, or maybe what I should say instead is, like, if I were on an island, like a deserted island, that would be one of the games I'd take with me, because then I could just dive right into it. So that definitely exists. I don't know if that's the answer you wanted, <laughs> but... No, that is the answer I wanted. Okay. Like, Hades, for instance. Hades, Elden Ring, Skyrim, uh, for the for the most part, take a long time to exhaust, as opposed to... A game like Horizon Zero Dawn, other than comparing it to Forbidden West, I don't really want to go back and play that game. Um, that yeah. I've I've kind of I've played it out. You know what I mean? Um, and some more linear games like once you've once you've played, you know. Um, uh, now I'm struggling to find an example. Once you've beaten Super Mario Sunshine, you really don't necessarily want to go back, other than for nostalgic reasons, right? It's kind of a one and done, as most games are. But to and you can burn out on games real quick, depending oh, real, on how they're most, designed. Most so, games. Oh, yeah. yeah, for sure. That's the excitement of, like, and now, you know, depending on... Some things are prone to burnout, I think, right? Games with limited variation are prone to burnout. The same repetitive... Remember um, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, the latest one with Johnny Depp, um, who just won his trial? He there. Uh, Charlie's dad is a toothpaste guy i guess he puts on the lids to toothpaste can you imagine (laughs) can you imagine putting on lids to toothpaste containers for your whole life if that was like just your life that would be absolutely crazy i would go nuts i would absolutely go nuts (laughs) and and instead i do service and i bartend uh i'm a server and a bartender and i find endless variation because the people that walk through my door every day are nuanced and they represent the infinities of the universe in their own sets of eyes because from their perspective, the universe is different than it is from mine. And so in a sense, they are an entire universe unto themselves. Um, And it's infinite variety in my job. And so that keeps things fresh, right? For you teaching, I'd imagine that like while paperwork probably gets stale, the interactions with the students probably do not. Oh yeah, everybody's Uh, different. Right. And so you and I are blessed in that sense, but like, man, I, I just couldn't be one of these guys that works on cars, that works on, um, you know, assembly line or works at Amazon, I think I'd get burnt out real quick. I don't think I could do it um, just because there's not enough variety for me. So I don't know. These are just my thoughts. I'm kind of vomiting them all out. But, yeah. No, yeah. I think it's a, a very interesting topic for sure and can definitely be applied to video games. I know for a huge chunk of my college years, I definitely burned out. Like, I think yeah. you mm-hmm. and I really connected, obviously, junior year, but even after going into senior year, and it, it was then that I started to pick up on it a little bit more. But coming to college, really just, like, everything else became more important, and I didn't have access at that time anyway to any console, so it just it was gone. And I didn't burn out, per se, I guess, but I was I was almost at the point of, like, yeah, I can move on and and be fine with that becoming a part of my past. Obviously, that has not occurred, and I've, I've gone back to it and fallen back in love with the medium, and I, I find it enriching in its own way, but I, I do not think that you should feel the need to be involved in something like the video game medium 
and this is the problem of modern times. A lot of people get that FOMO, you know, they don't want to miss out. So they, they just kind of force themselves to do things that even though like it's, it's basically fun, you know, grinding on, I don't know, immediately I think of destiny and like going through different raids and stuff. But like, if that's exhausting you and it's like taking up too much of your time and you're feeling unmotivated and, and feeling like you're not being productive and being wasteful. Like, allow yourself to not burn out on that thing. Allow yourself to not get to the point where you despise your hobby because that could be become what happens. Um, and and pull back on it. You know, I've I've heard some great advice recently about just the the actual not necessity but real benefit of deprivation. Like depriving yourself of things, you know, we, we live in just a gluttonous time and a gluttonous culture where you can get anything <laughs> like instant yeah. gratification. And it's like because of that, things just become so much less. And a lot of that might even be attributed to burnout. And so I'm very much like, hey, don't don't do that to yourself. Like deprive yourself a little bit. Let yourself get to the point where. Um, you put things down or you try to <clears throat> break off from something. It doesn't have to be an everyday thing because there is something to deprivation, I think, in human nature that is that is valuable and makes things that much sweeter. You know, if you eat the chocolate cake every single day, it's going to just, you're going to be burned out on it by the end of the month. But if you have a slice of right. chocolate cake once a month, that's the best thing you ate all month, you know? Right. So right. that would be yeah. my last thought on it. One of the things that's kept things fresh, like even if I haven't loved a game that we've chosen to cover, one of the things that has kept it fresh is like taking notes, like setting my controller down, picking up a notepad, and and writing down what I'm experiencing in real time so that we can discuss it later on the podcast because I enjoy these conversations. And that adds a layer of um, challenge to the games that go, like like um, the first thing that comes to mind is Fire Emblem, right? Like it was, it, you know... Uh, a game I rag on a lot, but one of the enjoyable aspects of it was like writing down everything that I hated <laughs> about it was was really enjoyable. Um, and so that was, yeah, a, a fresh, putting a fresh spin on something that I was doing that I'm used to doing, right? Um, and keeping myself from burning out in that way. Yeah. So that's that's certainly, and going through Elden Ring, taking copious notes. I don't remember what the, the total count was because after I beat it the first time, I was like, okay, now I can dive into the community that's talking about it and I can not worry about spoilers because I've finished it at least, right? And so now it's time. But I, by that point, my first playthrough, I'd done over, I think, 80 pages worth of notes in the game, like a physical notebook, <laughs> um, and, and just written down, this is where this is, this is where this is for the next playthrough and stuff. And um, so, no, I would highly recommend that, uh, taking a game this large and just bringing a notepad, notepad with you because it'll keep things uh, fresh in your mind. And um, I don't know, I just enjoy that aspect of it tremendously. Yeah, it's a fun, but, yeah. old-school way to tackle that sort of that sort of uh, challenge slash project. At the same time, yes. though, I mean, you could burn out doing that, you know? Uh, trying to take copious notes every time you play a video game, like, sometimes you should just enjoy it, you know? So that's that's my thing. Yes, like, yeah. Mix it totally up. Agree dependent on what that experience ought to be like allow it to be that um but nonetheless burning out be careful about it and of course don't let it uh get to the point where the burnout consumes you or destroys you because if it is something that is important that you have to be careful not to burn out on 
Um, yeah. Just make sure you're you're aware of that and, and that careful, delicate balance of it, um, which is probably more applicable to work stuff, but nonetheless. And, well, relationships too, though. Like, you got to be careful that your relationship <laughs> oh, yeah. with your spouse doesn't get stale. That is um, true. At spouse, fiance, girlfriend, wherever you're at. Um, and that's why couples are always looking for fresh things to do, you know. Should we go do mini golf? No, we did that last week, you know. So um, things like that. So, it, But it takes it takes work to love your spouse through the boring times but it's definitely worth it and but you got to be careful you know don't let your don't let your burnout make you resentful of the person that you you're with for sure on that note let's talk about a game that neither of us have burned out on just yet and of course our pick of the week perhaps uh our pick of the century is <laughs> Elden Ring game of course from the from software guys they're i think personally like pinnacle of design and uh just the complete marriage of all the things that they've been practicing not practicing but honing probably is a better word over the course of their last few titles um and that is the open world rpg the brutal slap in the face that is elden ring so jared ah I don't know where to start. We've got a couple of lists here. We can try to keep this as structured as possible, but I do want to have a nice, solid conversation with you over it. So, I guess first question here is, what was your overall impression of Elden Ring? Uh... And please don't be reductive and just give me one word. Like, just I want you to to just go for it. In, I'm, I'm gonna go for it and what it means to you what does Elden Ring mean to you yes I I think that Elden Ring is the penultimate compilation of all the best ideas that FromSoft has ever had and that open world RPGs have ever had distilled into a $59.99 package like that that is it is the best compilation of every good idea RPG games have had. And the size, the scope, the scale of this thing is mind-boggling. From the first breathless gasp, um, which is contradictory, as you enter Limgrave <laughs> for the first time, um, the first, you know, you died screen reminding you that this is still a FromSoft game. Oh uh, yes. The 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 subtle jab at the player as White Mask Vare says, "Unfortunately, you are maidenless." Mm. The I, I love all of it. I love all of it. Everything. Every first impression it gets nailed correctly. 
the introduction to the game is flawless. It's not overwhelming. Um, the format, like take for instance the the format when you first start the game, right? Your character selection looks like a modern style RPG character selection sheet, as opposed to the pure like almost Dungeons and Dragons sheet that you get with DS One, right? Right. right. Um, and, and so the introduction is so friendly um, and violent at the same time, you know, obviously in gameplay. And what you're supposed to do is is if you want direction, we have it for you. If you want to go running off and explore, you can do that as well. It is, it is both. It is everything. It's 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 the three in one man. It's the holy trinity. It's it's an RPG. <laughs> it's a FromSoft, and it's uh, it's a grind. It's all of the above. It's everything. It's an adventure for sure. And I I think it's probably the greatest game I've ever played. To be honest with you. There you go. That's that's it right there. I'd say definitely best game of the decade, and I know we're only two years into said decade. Maybe you could say best game of the 21st century. That conversation could be had. There are a lot of games that are vying for that title, but I think you can say beyond the shadow of a doubt, this is the best open-world RPG. I think you could say that. Um, yeah. And that's above Breath of the Wilds. That's above Red Dead Redemption, Grand Theft Auto, um obviously assassin's creed uh horizon throw any of those titles in there this one takes the cake and it's like they're not even trying dude like at some point it just seems effortless on from software's part which is true talent but at the same time just just the 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 beauty of what these ideas and these gameplay elements like actually being pulled off in synchronization will get you is it's it's like going to a a master musicians concert and it seems so effortless but you know that there's a you know uh years and years of talent and and wisdom and practice and everything else behind it that is just coming to fruition before your eyes and mm-hmm. that's what elden ring is and it's it's best game probably i would say best from software title that's another argument you could have jared i don't know if you agree with that but um i think this is their their best i don't know if it's my favorite that's a little bit of a distinct thing but i don't think you can deny what this game is and it's 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 an amazing video game you lose hours to it like it's one of those games that because there's so much new and this is part of we were talking about this briefly with burnout but like because there's there's so much opportunity, so many options, so much variety in what you can do to tackle literally everything in the game, so many bits of lore, so many different compelling uh, areas, and it seems like all of them are just riddled with secrets and important items. And because of all of that, you just you just lose yourself. Like you like by the time I finished my first playthrough, I was like, whoa, that was over a hundred hours. That did not feel like that. Which it doesn't, right? You can feel that way. Like I've I've put in a hundred hours into several other games, and it does feel like a slog. Like I think Persona Five, especially uh, Persona Five, was a game, amazing, high quality, worth the one hundred hours. But towards the end, especially, you're feeling the burnout a little bit. Like you're getting to the point where you're like, man, I've got one more dungeon to get through, one more uh, dream of palace or palace dream or whatever they call it. Um, 
to push through and then there's another one over that and it's like oh but you never feel that way with Elden Ring by the time you end you just want more and that's the mark of a truly amazing game a remarkable game and uh that's that's what Elden Ring is and whether or not you're into from software games I think does play a small factor but just objectively looking at this like the you you have to be impressed with what they've pulled off here and um I look forward to seeing what they do next, man, because they are just on a roll here uh, with this series. But, of course, Elden Ring, uh, very much in the vein. I would say, personally, it is a Dark Souls spiritual successor. You know, they could have said Dark Souls 4 and found some way to cram this into the Dark Souls world lore-wise, and I would have totally believed it. Um, But they went with a clean slate. I think that was wise on their part, um, and I think the world benefits greatly because of that. Uh, but this is a From Software game, open world. But let's talk about specifically what From Software has always been known about and are known for, and that is their combat, more specifically the difficulty of their combat, but also the the fine tuning of it, the nuance of it, uh, the way that they throw challenges at you and surprise you. Obviously, sucker punches are their thing as well. Uh, trying to catch you by surprise, which has always been a fun part of From Software games, is there in droves. I mean, you literally walk out of the cave and get wrecked by the first great golden knight. So, like, that's there, um, and and they're gonna have fun with it. Uh, but what did you think, Jared, of the combat of this game? Would you say that this is the best from software combat, or would you reserve that for another title? Um, and then also, what was your favorite way to engage on the difficulty combat side of things of the game? Yes. So, um, w- always a discussion. You know, if you look on the PlayStation, um, well, I'm sure it's probably similar for Xbox or PC, but if you look on the PlayStation Trophies Achievement, um, you know, you will see earlier bosses obviously cranking in somewhere around the 60 to 70% succession rate, right? Um, 60 to 70% of players have beat these bosses on and on until the final boss probably has somewhere around 24 to 28% completion, right? So it's like around 25 to 28% of the players have completed that game. And, and then even fewer have finished multiple endings and then you get into the the tiny percentages of players who have gone even further than that i myself have put in over 200 hours as of yesterday um 203 exactly and the 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 combat itself is a large reason why those percentages exist as they do because this game is still still super super difficult one of the barriers to entry, and one of the reasons this game will never, never sell as many copies as um, Grand Theft Auto or Red Dead Redemption, uh, and I think there's there's several others that have beaten Elden, Elden Ring as far as open-world RPGs go. Um, Skyrim still has, I believe. Elden Ring is somewhere in the middle of the pack. Like Out of like the 25 top-selling RPG games, uh, Elden Ring is like 12th or 11th or something like that. But the reason it'll never excel into those top five, top four is because it's difficult and that drives so many people away. And it's not difficult in exploration or in any other sense except for the enemies are very tough. And Miyazaki has made several things clear. One of the reasons why, you know, you're you're very correct when you say that like FromSoft seems to have this, they have a bead on excellence because they they know when to copy themselves and when what they've done has worked. And one of the things that they have done is decided this is what we're not going to do. 
we are not going to put a difficulty mode on our games. It is one size fits all. And that will always be a turnoff to plenty of people who who have varying levels of commitment to their gaming experience. And the combat to this game, you know, we talked about how earlier on, a couple months ago when it was first released, how people were complaining that it was easy. And the only people complaining that it was easy are the people who are taking advantage of cheesing strategies and maybe not making it as difficult on themselves, right? Uh, or the get good community, which, you know, instead of getting good, you just have to apply strats a certain way, right? And I, I have never found this game easy, ever. I've yeah, found and it bulk, familiar. bulk amount of people yeah. would be in that category. I don't think that that's a stretch to say at all. I think that this is definitely, like... As far as video games go, even with From Software, this is a tough one. And I, I think because so many, I guess you could say influencers, but people who are very much prevalent in your face are inherently good at these games already. It, right, right. You get that, that message of, oh, it's not that hard. But I think objectively looking at this man, like they've, they've pulled off crazy stuff. Like I think these are their most complicated as far as design is concerned. Like, uh, enemies of of any game that they've made like these these enemies mix up so much and like the insane delay they read your input like they know when you're gonna try to heal oh yeah like it is and it is not at the level of the other games like the other ones are all inherently hard because the enemies are heavy hitting but in this case it's almost like they took the excuse of okay uh, Miyazaki is, is saying like, okay, we're going to give you guys a lot of things to work on this. Like we're going to give you ashes of war. Um, we're going to give you, um, weapon arts. We're going to use, um, summons. If you needed to have summons, uh, we're going to let you use all kinds of different sorceries. But that means because you have so many tools at your disposal, we're going to make this as insanely difficult as we possibly can. And we are going to try to kill yeah. you with every yeah. single encounter. <laughs> so yeah. that's all there. And I do not want to just mitigate that. Like I, I know for a fact already uh, a, a person that I know who played through the game gave it up once they got past, I mean, they got past market and they got to Godric the grafted and they moved into the next area. And at some point or another, just with either encountering another dragon or something, they're like, this is too much. I'm dying too much. Like, and that's something that yeah. you just get used to if you play these games a lot. But if that's something that drives you down, that's, that's here, that's present. And to me, hallelujah, like keep that in there. I'm so glad that they did. Um, that was actually a big concern of mine. Like, looking at trailers and stuff, it's just hard to tell if a game's going to be difficult. But I thought with them going open world and with them trying to reach a larger um, player base than they ever would have in the past, like because I feel like they really went for it. I mean, even the fact that yeah. George R. R. Martin is involved in this yep. at all tells yep. you that that's what they're going for. Um, I thought that that would also perhaps cause them to hesitate when it came to the difficulty and it didn't. Mm -hmm. In fact, they just went even <laughs> harder with it. And yes. I'm like, thank you. I'm so glad that they did. I really am. There's a quote um, that I, I both love and hate for its implications, but it's essentially um, something along the lines of when the world looks at you and says, move, sometimes the right response is to stare back and say, no, you move. And it's it's that's Miyazaki to a, to a T. Uh, the world said, put a difficulty setting on your games. And he said, no. And uh, it, I don't care how popular these games are going to get. I, I'm going to make what I know to be 
correct, what I know to be true to what I'm trying to do, and uh, did not compromise one iota. That being said, he gave you this the cheese. Game is, it gave you, yeah. <laughs> you know, like there's that, still the option to cheese, and most people end up having to do it <laughs> at some point or another anyway. There's a couple of things in there that uh, I think specifically of like the Rivers of Blood katana, the Moonville katana, Common Azure combined with uh, 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 the Hidden Cerulean Tear or Cracked Cerulean Tear. I think of, you know, summons that are, you know, the, the Mimic Tear is a, is a, a OP as well. Right. There are definitely some, uh, the Prayerful Strike um, applied to a strike weapon, that's, that's an OP as well. Um, th- there's so many ways to cheese if you want to, or you can put a fresh spin on what you're doing and, um, you know, throw out, you know, try to limit yourself or try to challenge yourself. When I, when I fight bosses that I've fought before, I think, I wonder if I could do it on my own this time. Like, do yeah. I really need to summon something for, for this boss or, or, or can I work on it on my own? Like it, 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 put a limiter on yourself if you really think that like there's too easy or it's or whatever or or come back later if you find it too difficult the game is full of uh, uh uncompromising situations and you need to figure out how to overcome it not not to complain and whine until it it becomes easier and uh that's that's certainly that being said though i was talking to a friend today about Elden Ring because he's just starting his journey on, and it's it's not quite grabbing him as much as other games are, um, but he's still enjoying it. And he was telling me that he changed his mind on summons, and that largely is where a lot of the contention is for yeah. how easy it is because there's plenty of boss fights where you're fighting two people. In fact, a, a, a numerous boss fights where you're fighting two people at the same time. Uh, Godskin Duo, Crucible Knight Duo, Misbegotten, and Crucible Knight, as well as um, you know uh, any any number of you know of things in which you're fighting multiple people. Crystallians, the Crystallians is a is a trio fight. You have to beat those guys. Um, uh, most bosses have second phases in which things switch up significantly. Um, all kinds of stuff like that. Uh, many bosses are surrounded by areas uh, in which. You know, you're being ganked by a number of different people. And it, in response to that, the difficulty is up there. But the game is designed to be played with summons. Like, that's right. how they built the game. And so this complaint that it's too easy with summons, it's like, well, you know, I, maybe you're playing easy areas and that's where your complaint is, right? Like, maybe you overleveled and then came back to the Weeping Peninsula and now things are too easy, right? So um, th- that's... It's an argument that he was saying is like, I, you know, I didn't like the summons at first, but now I realize that like because there's over like 35 different summons, it's just another strategy that you employ right. Right. to try to work things out. And like if you need a heavy hitting boss to work on some things, like bring an ash, ash of war, a spirit summon that's going to that's going to like distract the boss while you can work on some of your strategies and build out and, in, in, you know, play. Because one of the things that FromSoft lacks is the ability to um replay bosses very well other than Sekiro right. I, I I don't even think you can do that so if you really want to test Unless your strategies you online summoned that's like the only right. way I can think of right and that's not as reliable as it could be you know no. what I mean so um so certainly you know like hey work on some strategies while you have a summon out there and like that's another strat it's a way of prolonging the 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 longevity of the game and um 
uh, I, I certainly, I like that concept, but I like that he is, you know, my friend changed his mind on that because he realized, I think that's what FromSoft was trying to do with this game as far as the combat is at another layer. Because they had already done Ashes of War um, with DS3. And I think they really liked that concept. And so they kept it in this game and uh, improved upon it and then added summons. And like some fights are on horseback. That's new. That's new to um, Elden Ring. Um, we can talk about that. I, yeah. I, yeah, I really like all of that stuff. I think the combat in this has never been more varied. It's never been more fun. And the trophies that you win, are there any other are there any other games in which you get a weapon drop from a boss? Another FromSoft game, I mean? Um, I'm sure there are. I wanna that s- sounds I want to say no like, though. I mean I want to say that that definitely is a thing. I'm trying to think of an example, and I really can't. Um, I haven't played Demon Souls or DS2, but I feel like once you beat a boss, then a weapon is I guess available it's not, for purchase. It's, that's yeah, you're right. That's how the Dark Souls series handles it, where it's not like yeah. something that drops on the ground and you pick up. It's it's something you can now use their soul to go yeah. and forge. Yeah, so you're yeah. you're right in that respect. But I feel like. Yeah, I guess not. I, I guess not. I'm thinking Bloodborne, but yeah, I don't think there was a situation there either. So yeah. that is interesting. I did not even notice that in Eldering. cool is that this and Elden Ring does do that in a sense like you'll you'll get a nice fat dummy thick weapon from a bo- a mini boss for the most part but for the big bosses like for instance Renala the, the the full moon and she's one of the the main the rune the rune the shard bearers excuse me the, the demigods she, yeah yes one of the demigods she um actually she's is she a demigod i don't think she counts she is not a demigod i think she's the only shard bearer that is not it's not a demi yeah yeah and um but anyway she um she has the scepter you can get the carrion royal scepter as well as the full moon excuse me as well as the full moon um sorcery and those are things that the game actually like directs you to buy for instance there's a specific like you have to go um, you have to go to a specific NPC to get those specific weapons. And that's something that the game encourages you to do because of the way it funnels you towards that NPC as you progress through the game. Enia, the the Two Fingers Prophetess or whatever. And that's really unique as opposed to kind of like, oh, you know, Smo's hammer is just in DS3 somewhere. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I think it like it funnels you a little bit more towards the epicness of what you just did, which is you know beating this boss and you know getting these runes as well as gr- the great rune itself, which is an attribute razor, and, and then the weapon is now available for you to go get. You know, I don't know. I just the way I they, mean, they did definitely it was much, they did that in yeah. three two. Like you'd go yeah. back to that little tiny boy on the throne and. He'd give you some dialogue sometimes. So, I mean, it was kind of a similar situation. 
That being said, I, though, out of I missed that in DS3 actually. I oh. didn't know you could do that until it was too late. Yeah, I mean that's my that's poor, how you got those soul like the value of those souls outside yeah, of just my, consuming them. My my poor boy was burning on fire when I finally figured that out. Oh no, <laughs> it was too late. Came ashes already. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's funny. I, I appreciated that they still let you like <laughs> swap out souls with his ashes. How nice of him. Um, but I was gonna say. Out of all of the different summons talking about them, um, which ones did you find personally? And you've played through it multiple times now, so I'm sure you've had opportunity to go into the catalog there. Which ones did you find valuable and that you tried to stick to more? Um, Were there ones that you kind of leaned toward? Yeah, there's two right now that I have equipped that I use all the time in, in varying situations depending on the need. But Mimic Tear is a huge one. If I'm really struggling with, with a boss, um, most of the time the final boss really is what gives me difficulty. Um, I will use um, I will use the Mimic Tear, which is just a summons that's a copy of myself. And I don't know if you knew this, but um, – and we should talk about data miners later, so I'll, I might save that for, for that. But um, uh, the – it's a copy of yourself. Everything that you're wearing, all of yeah. your talismans, all of your items um, is right there in that character. So what's cool is like I'll hold on to a warming stone, which restores a little bit of HP by using FP, uh, your mana. And that character has an unlimited number of those because I have them equipped and it doesn't eat my stock. It's just a copy of them, right? So they have however many warming stones I have, uh, that's what they have. And so... Um, they'll drop those on the ground and self-heal. And then if I add, like, for instance, Prayerful Strike to my Mimic tier, their strike restores 30% of their maximum HP and 15% of mine. So it's like we can both have that weapon with that art on there and just go to town and be healing each other as we beat the snot out of a nice. boss. Uh, and that's a fun cheese. That's a, re- that's a really fun one. Yeah, um, that's but- awesome. But then Dung Eater, uh, he's one of the main NPCs. You can actually turn him into a summon uh, through Celevis's quest line. That's really fun. Uh, the 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 Mausoleum Knights, the Headless Knights. There's five of them, and those dudes can teleport, and they can they're they're they have great shields, so they can take quite a bit. So they're a pretty fun uh, group of five, uh, as well as um, there's another one. There's one that I haven't gotten. Uh, uh, that's you have to follow Rainy's quest line really far into the its quest line, like almost to the end of it, and then um, that's where you get that one. It's up on that upper plateau that you only get after beating Estelle, and um, that's Tish, and that's the one of the Black, Knight of the Black Knives. That's one of those summons, and there's some lore involved in that one. But you have to beat an Evergal to unlock that one. She has a hyper armor when she jumps up in the air. She th- like throws a. Uh, a projectile and you can't touch her while she's up there. So she's a really good one. Um, but yeah, those are just, I'm really geeking out, but I the, think it's uh, still, I think it's pronounced ever jail. Is it not? It might. Yeah. I think you're right. Actually. Ever Which jail. is so it weird. Look, doesn't, I definitely read yeah, it. It's not gowl. spelled that way. <laughs> yeah, I do too. Um, but, um, but no, I think that's like, that's awesome. Cause that, I mean, that just shows how much variety there is, but then also like, even in your explanation of it, you can just tell, how much there is to this game and like how, how much there is to discover. I think that's one thing that I think this game has over like a breath of the wild is after the first 20 hours of breath of the wild, you've seen most, if not all of the weapons. So you're pretty much, you're going to be a general understanding of like what gamut of weaponry is at your disposal, depending on where you are. 
Um, and you've gotten most of the collectibles. In Breath of the Wild's case, most of the like wor- world's collectibles are like items to cook. And then there's yeah. and then there's I guess the um the little tiny boys. I'm trying to think of their name. The guys with the leaves. The cookeries, co- cookery. Koroks. Korok. Yes, that's what it is. Um, that's like those are the rewards you get. Whereas in Elden Ring, like the rewards you get are substantial. Like you're gonna find a new sorcery, or you're gonna mm-hmm. find a, a crazy new weapon with a brand new art you've never seen before, or yep. some other crazy stat or ability, and then or you'll get you'll get armor. Like there's so many other things, talismans. Um, obviously you get the, um, orbs, the cracked orbs from your, uh, bouts with the tree guardians. But otherwise, like, I think because Dark Souls already lended itself to a lot of value, like multiplying that on the scale of an Elden Ring works in such an amazing, incredible way, because you know that there are some amazing secrets out there. Like, you just know that in the back of your head because you perhaps have stumbled upon one already. And so you are trying to find, like, that crazy awesome weapon, that crazy sorcery or whatever. Um, and you feel like you're missing out. And even the small things, like, sometimes, like, you can tell with the items, like, if it's a basic item, it just has a standard blue glow to it. But if it's something a little bit more rare, it'll have a purple, like, popping mm-hmm. out of the enemy mm-hmm. body or whatever, purple ray. And. Even if it's something like a stone sword key, you're still hyped because those things are valuable. And because the world is so large, they're also rare. So I think that's something just not a lot of people talk about enough is that this game really does. Not only does it provide a lot to explore and a lot of secrets and surprises within just the environment and the enemies themselves. But then on top of that, the actual rewards you're getting from chests and from defeating bosses and whatever it may be finding that landmark in the church that has a sacred tear at the statue like you're like yes now i have an extra flask now i'm gonna do a lot better against the next boss and having all of that just like built into even just in your brief explanation there jared you can just tell like it's it's amazing what this game does in in that respect and and summons is just one minor aspect of that I, I like your comparison to Breath of the Wild because Breath of the Wild expanded the hours required to play it because its exploration took so long. Um, so, for instance, like Link, Link's horse was not did not have a double jump <laughs> like Torrent does in your summon your spectral steed that you can summon, which is very very handy. Like Link, you have to go chase down a horse to get it, or you know fast travel with your own horse right to bring it to you. And um, the torrent, the spectral steed, is a gift given to you, which fits in line with the ability to summon other animals. Now you just whistle and you have a horse that will quickly and adeptly and smoothly pop up underneath you. You don't need to stop moving. You could be running full tilt, summon the steed, and it'll pop up underneath you, and you can just, it's smooth, very, very smooth. So traversal is, is, um, while it's unlimited in Breath of the Wild, it takes a long time. Think about how often you were staring at that stamina bar as you climbed up the side of a mountain. You know what I mean? It just oh, yeah. and that takes it takes minutes and then minutes bleed into hours, as opposed to in Elden Ring, you could be all the way to Altus Plateau in under ten minutes if you know what you're doing in Elden Ring. And But there's so much in between. Yes. There's and so there's much. still so much in between. Exactly. As opposed to a game like um 
uh, Breath of the Wild, where it would take you, you know, unless you're speed running and using a, a glitch, it would take you a significant amount of time to get anywhere in that game. Yeah. And, That's off um, to torrent, man. Yeah, for sure, right? He's a he's a speedy boy, but um, but it just the interconnectivity. You got to think of like the Tower of Return takes you to a specific place in the capital city of Landell, where you then use that warp gate to get to another place. And mm-hmm. that's how you unlock a great rune. But that warp gate only works when you unlock the second to last area in um, uh, in Crumbling Pharaoh Azul, Azula, which is my favorite map by far. Yeah. But, um, yeah, the warp gates are so fun because it's like, yes. oh, what's this? <laughs> like, exactly. Where is this going to take me? Yeah, is this yeah, going to be exactly. a bad place? Yeah, exactly. And sometimes uh, so it tr- really was. It's like sometimes yes. it was like, oh, my gosh. And the game makes it very clear that it's going to be taking you all over the world yes. when it, in that dragon burnt ruins, you go to the basement in there and you get ensnared in that transporter trap and get launched into a very difficult um, dungeon, especially for your level at the time. Um, the yeah, Celia the, Crystal Tunnel way yeah. over in, 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 um, in Halid. That's the, the one with the all those like um, the like the pests. Yeah, the the pest wizard guys that shoot the arrows like the shards like sh- like I don't know what they are just like barbs or whatever. Those guys are the worst. It's, yeah, they are the worst because <laughs> they move so and fast. That, I can easily see that being a reason why people quit the game because they're just trying to do a little bit of exploration and they find the dragon burnt ruins which are so painfully close to the start of the they game. They are. <laughs> they go down there, they open this chest expecting to be rewarded with like a little bit of loot, not even a lot, just a little bit of loot and instead they get thrown into an area new game where they can't even you can't fast travel out of there until you escape. And okay, like Okay, but the that's like, a hard Yeah. I think that's like a lesson that they're trying to teach. Like the beginning yeah, of sure. the game feels designed toward that to me like if you wander out too far on the lake a dragon comes out and that's at the very start of the game if you obviously just walk down the beaten path and and like follow the ray of grace you're gonna be attacked by the golden knight on the horse and you are very obviously at the start of the game not at least unless you're really great at the combat already like uh you're not equipped for that and then same thing, yeah, you go to the Dragon Burnt Ruins, and it shoots you off into the depths of Kaelid, and just says, like, sorry, sucker, like, this is what this game is. Like, and that's, I feel like, in my opinion, like, the beginning of the game was deliberately designed that way to tell you, like, this is a From Software game, we're not messing around. Like, yeah, enjoy, yeah. <laughs> enjoy this, because this is what your experience is going to be for the next hundred hours. Yeah. I can I can easily see a new player, brand new to the FromSoft uh, experience, thinking, "Oh, Elden Ring, this looks like awesome. This is going to be great." And then they get stuck in that, and they're like, "This game sucks." <laughs> I could easily see that dissuading a lot of people from playing the game. Well, and you see um, the memes, and you're like, "Ah, it can't be that hard." <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And then you pick yeah. it up, and it is. <laughs> and this leads me. This traversal idea that we're talking about here leads me to um, my first real complaint about um the game there's Ooh, i really only have yeah my I'm first excited. real complaint this is gonna make you laugh i think my only complaint about traversal really um is that torrent's double jump does not negate fall damage that is the mm. dumbest thing 
and so counter that's video like game logic <laughs> i feel like though like it doesn't care because they're very much trying to limit things like yeah they don't want people to just be jumping off of the top of the earth tree and then getting close to limb grave and doing boink and then being fine like what i, I just feel like to me that was just like no consistently at this point like if you have dropped this so many like levels of feet or whatever it is i don't know how they count it but uh you're gonna die even if you have the fall damage protection or whatever it is on the talisman um i don't know to me i don't and i get why you think that that's annoying because logically it just doesn't make sense but you gotta throw some logic out the window here with these games um and also accept the fact that it's a video game you know yeah well, the best I comparison I have is that, like, double jumps, like, think about a double jump in Mario, like, Super Smash Brothers. Like, double jump doesn't do any extra damage. Come on, what are we talking about? A double jump is how you get back onto the stage. Why wouldn't a double jump, you know, save you from, it, would, it negates physics already. You're jumping in midair. <laughs> like, come on, what do you, if gravity is a non-factor, why is, why is gravity transferable to my second jump if I'm stopping my fall through gravity the first time? So, like, physically it doesn't make sense. But I at wonder... the same time... Sorry, this is a ahead. Dark Souls game. Yeah, this is a Dark Souls game. So, like, y- you being high up in the air, I'm thinking about the entrance to the Halig Tree. There's one way to get to the Halig Tree. You got to go, you got to get the two secret medallions. Uh, right. You got to go to the Consecrated Snowfields all the way to the tippy north top of Consecrated Snowfields. And then you got to beat that Everjail. And then you have to get to the branches. Then you got to go through the branches. And that's how you get to the actual Halig Tree itself. There's one way to do it. It's a five step, six step process. And while you're on the branches of the halic tree, you could fall off and die very easily. And that means that your runes actually mean something. And this is the overall philosophy of these games. The reason they're so difficult is that it's not that easy. You don't just die and start over where you were. You die and lose the progress that you had in your stat building. And that, that is crucial. You have a chance to recover it, which is where the game is fair. It's like, oh, have you learned your mistake yet? Okay, here's your, yeah. here's your runes back. And it's a little bit motherly in that sense, and I like that part of it. Obviously, I love these games, but but certainly having fall damage be a serious factor. Like if 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 Torrent was able to double jump and negate your fall damage, you're exactly right. I mean, people would be doing absolutely insane things, like jumping from you know freaking mountains, and and the fact that you to your to your point, I haven't actually thought of this before, but I'm glad you said that because I think you're exactly right. If it was possible for Torrent's double jump to negate fall damage, they'd have to separate every single area of the map because right. you could theoretically jump from um, the mountaintop of the Giants all the way down to the consecrated snowfield with no consequences. That's because, true, yeah. Exactly. And, but they don't want you to do that. They want you to go the back way and unlock that by carefully exploring the game that they've built for you. So that's instead... Just, yeah, that's one example. Yeah. There's a lot of points, too, where it has, like obviously like you have to kind of precariously make your way down although in those cases i guess you don't normally have torrent um but even to find secrets and stuff and like it wants you to follow that particular path down um and it's that's the challenge it's not like yes they want you to kind of work for it so to have that just completely negates that um yeah and i i just wonder like how many games i've had to deal with a double jumping horse and i've had to solve that problem <laughs> Um, right. But they did.
Yeah. No, I, I agree with you. When it comes to an appreciation of limitation, healthy limitation, um, and it, I think from software nails that balance. But, but, you know, I, I think I have to actually like take that back as a complaint because now that I think about it, I think you're exactly right. Like if you did have a double jump negate fall damage, you'd have unparalleled access to just about every point in the map and that's that's a no-go <laughs> but it does make it a little inconvenient when you're up in um like there's an area that's like northwest lyernia where the earth tree is and there's like a giant wall where the frenzied flame village is and there's no spirit spring to get up there so you have to go all the way around and that's really annoying yeah so but um but no, anyway, the, yeah so. yeah there's a lot of times and I, I love the way the torrent works like uh obviously the insta instantaneous just like appearing of him as opposed to waiting for it to run towards you like a lot of games do um, yes yeah the fact yeah. that it like it basically feels like you like as your character like i don't know how they got the feeling of the horse just right but it's just right for a dark souls game like you got a double jump which is really nice but you still feel in control even in the air um you can turn on a dime which is like it, they built the horse for combat so because of that like, it just has a lot more technique to it than I was expecting, honestly. Like, I was really concerned that the horse was going to be a really annoying part of this game, and it's yeah. not. Like, it, it feels it's so really integral and just a part of it, and, like, it, it, it it's, like, to me, like, oh, yeah, you absolutely need Torrent. Like, and, I, and before I jumped into this game, I probably would not have said that. Um, but, yeah, that being said, like, the, the things that they've done to... Um, make this very amazing game accessible are awesome. And they built it with Torrance double jump in mind too. So, um, like we've said, a lot of the times, like the reason you see someone die on torrent is because they're trying to do something difficult and out of the way that, um, you know, only torrent can do. And they limit torrent too. Like you can't just go into any area with him. Um, which I appreciate. Like that was another thing I was concerned about but they, they do limit it, and I do like also that, like, Torrent disappears when someone invades you, and it's like, okay, now I'm, I'm on my ground, like, boots to the ground, and I have to actually face off against this person. Um, so I feel like they use that and perfectly implemented a horse into the series, and um, hats off to him for it. Yeah, for sure, and it, it, it really it would be absolutely ridiculous i could see miyazaki sitting down in a in a like all right guys i want this game to be massive how massive i mean massive okay and then they try to do do it like they did ds3 where you're running everywhere and it took them over an hour to run from oh my gosh. Grave could to, you imagine to, can, dude can, i cannot well that's the oh thing it's like how big do you want it so big that it would be ridiculous to expect them to run everywhere okay that means we're going to need to add a horse okay how do we do this and they started problem solving from there they started talking about different implementations and they use there's two things about traversal that are beautiful one um the map is massive so they've added way gates to help you explore the tower return takes you to to lane dell but you can't actually use the elevator so that's just the one area so it's a teaser for what lane dell looks like i remember popping into that like taking the um, the Tower of Return, getting stuck in that right. that transporter trap, and being like, "Oh, this is where I'm headed. This is so epic, so yeah. so epic." And the four belfries in the uh, the the west of Lyernia, where you can go to four different locations and and like teasers, all three of them teasers. It's like you can go back to the Grafted Scion that you died to in the very first. 
You could go to Farah, Missoula way earlier than you're supposed to, but you could just see it from a distance. It's an area that's way separate. And then you could go to um, the, uh, what's the one? Uh, the Night of the Everlasting Stars, as it's called there. But it's just a little area with a crucible night, right? And then there's another one. I don't, I don't remember what it is, but like, that's fantastic. All just taste teasers. They're really using traversal, like how large the world is to to tease you on like what you will see eventually, what you will get to eventually. And I've said this a thousand times and I love this example, but like the draw distance of this game is so tantalizingly fresh. Yes. You can see like those big walking mausoleums, they like everything and this is going to I was going to say torrent, let me I don't want to get off track here. Torrent serves multiple purposes. How anxious do you get when you're riding torrent and all of a sudden he kicks you off for what seems like no reason? Yeah. And then all of a sudden being invaded right and it's like oh my you know that's a a great use of torrent as as a as you know oh my you know he got so scared of an invader or something he disappeared on you and you're on your own there bucko and and then using him like you have to jump down carefully i think of the mausoleum that's in um lyerni on the east ray lucaria gate if you jump down the stone platforms that are over there which is difficult to do and you could easily die you have to go down halfway and then the mausoleum walks to you. Just yet another way in which Torrent is incorporated into the overall picture in a very creative, never-before-seen way. I've never seen, like, does Red Dead Redemption do that with its horses? No. So, you know, you've, you've got to think, like, the fantasy element of this game are just pushed to the max. Everything has multiple purposes. I remember um, looking down at the consecrated snowfields and saying, like, that's definitely an area I can go to because I see a massive walking mausoleum way over in the northeast corner, northwest corner. Like, I was like, oh, I'm going there eventually. I got to find out how, but I'll figure it out. And that was a super cool moment. Draw distance is insane. You can see the divine towers dotting the land. You can see uh, the beast clergyman, Grax. Like, D is someone you meet when you're just exploring Limgrave, right? And then he gives you, he marks a map, uh, a red X on your map, which is super dope. Um, another small complaint is that, and I think I told you this, and I heard it from someone else, and I think it's very legit. The button to open the map doesn't close the map. At least it doesn't mm. for PlayStation. Yeah, that's stupid to me. Whatever, that's not a huge deal. Uh, you're used to, but you're used to using the B button to back out of stuff. So like, that's fine too. Um, but also, too, if you're in the start menu and you press B, it exits the menu. It doesn't actually, like, make your character dodge back, which would be very precarious on ledges. So that's nice, too. Yeah. Because um, not all the Souls games do that. I'm pretty sure you can, like, dodge roll off a cliff on accident if you're not careful. So stuff like that. But um, but anyway, when it comes to multiple things being used, like, the mausoleum serves as a way to duplicate a remembrance so that you can make the most out of your victory over that boss. Um. And it also serves as an excellent point because they always happen to be in areas in which you haven't gotten to yet, but you know you can. Sure. Like you see it way off in the distance, and it's like I think the consecrated snowfields is the best example. And you're like, I can definitely go there because right. that's there, and I've played that there. before. Yeah, yeah. And so that's that's a pretty pretty baller thing. But like like D giving you the location of Garonk and then giving you the way gate that takes you right to his doorstep transports you to the farthest northeast corner of Kaled. And from there, you can explore that area of the map. I remember, um, and then the the closest fort to you when you do that is Fort Faroth, which is, a cr- that's half of the Dectus Medallion. So that's very crucial. I love the way that this game subtly directs you. 
Oh, and yeah. um, I mean, I, even I just like fantastic. Yeah, like you mentioned towers, but like the um, the minor earth trees, like you can see yep. them, like and so you're just yes. like, okay, there's one, like way yep. over there. And sometimes you think it's a lot closer than it is, and there's so many other things in between. Um, and then obviously, like counting like the centerpiece to all of that is the earth tree itself, mm-hmm. which serves as this fantastic anchor to just the whole world. Like I could really feel this whole thing. I don't know, feeling very disparate and maybe even overwhelming in a way that it wasn't because you do have that. It's like the, the North star, you know, of the Erd tree and you can always orient yourself based on that. And, um, yeah. that's, I mean, talking about wonder, like talking about sites, there's so many ledges. This game is a very, uh, vertically intense game. Um, mm-hmm. which I don't think I even realized at the start, but, I mean, obviously is even when you look at the um, Erd tree, once you exit the gate or exit the cave. Um, But the verticality lends itself to some amazing sights a lot of the time. Um, Obviously, the Erd tree stands as that pinnacle. And the closer you get, just like the larger and larger it is. It's insane. Like when you're in the capital itself, it's just like you look and it's like your screen. (laughs) Like, it's just like what's in the background right now. Like, that's all you can see. Um, and then when you're above it or like you're kind of on the outskirts uh, in the mountaintop of the giants and it's just like, whoa, like you're looking down on the whole world right now. Um, and even the earth yeah. tree is looking small from here. So it's like it, it, it's that that focal point and that centerpiece that ties together a whole game that is designed with wonder in mind, with mystery and surprise in mind and like capturing your amazement. Like that was something they obviously tried to do. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, even in the point where like when you first enter the underground, you take, you you go, unless you obviously hear it, I think there's a couple of NPCs that mention, um, Hey, head in this way towards the Mistwood or whatever. There's a, there's a a step stone down to, um, Nocron city or whatever, whichever one is down there. Um, and you're like, okay, but once you actually go on that elevator and it opens up into the underground and the dazzling underground darkness sky light thing that's going on with its design and you just keep dropping and dropping and dropping and then you realize like oh this is a whole extra chunk of the map too like i need to go find another map piece specifically for the underground like that was a moment of awe like that was just like holy crap this game like it's beautiful it's scaled to a level that i'm like having a hard time even wrapping my head around and like what's next like what's around the next corner like what other ways are they going to surprise me and they just keep that up throughout the entire thing and letting you like i said the one of the best parts of traversal is let giving you teasers of what's in the distance like moog's palace right you can see from early game you can see where it is oh white yeah. mask vare that one bothered white- me probably more than anything else was yeah. seeing moog's palace up there and not getting to it for such a long time yeah, I didn't know how to get there, yeah. And then you finally get that super satisfying feeling when you've either gotten there via the Consecrated Snowfields or White Mask Vare's way of doing things, and you finally see where you're at, and you're like, oh my goodness, they got me again. Because, you know, they've they've saved, you know, yet another thing. And multi, multi-purpose uses of these underground maps. For instance, the Ainzel um, river map area, there's a whole not, uh, dragon skin warrior fight you can do. And then from the edge of that waterfall, you can see the next area that you can't get to quite yet. It's just beautiful map design. It's a masterclass in how to build out a world. And it's, it's absolutely, 
it's it really is flawless and the map um, helps with that for sure it does oh yeah yeah and it's beautifully done too it's so well drawn and and everything um things aren't like perfectly accurate but it feels fantasy it feels medieval and i i really like that i would say that some things are are somewhat annoying like grace grace is fairly abundant but like in certain areas grace feels redundant like there's like I the divine that. towers sometimes like there's one at the bottom and then one just at the top and then no yeah and then for like um so to get the dung eater puppet you have to use celibus and you have to pester him about getting potions and then you have to get the dung eaters quest line advanced to a certain point and then you can use him as a puppet right but celibus's tower is not accessed via grace despite its you know significant distance from ranny's tower so you have to teleport to ranny's tower yeah yeah so it's it's like it's a little tedious at times. Yeah. Um, but it also makes sure that what by spacing things out like that, they are ensuring that you are being intentional in your movement and yeah. that you're not just accidentally doing things right. And is there? I, I, yeah. I don't know. Is there a way to turn off the sights of grace from showing up on the map? I don't. Yeah. Think I you ever. You can filter your map. Okay. So maybe I, I just think. need to do that. But I do think, especially towards the end of the game. Like, just the peppering of them, like, all over your map. I don't know. I guess I just, I wish I could appreciate the map itself and some of the other aspects of it a little more because they're very overwhelming sure. because of how many there are. Um, yeah. Which, in some ways, is a necessity. In other ways, yeah, like you said, it does seem like a little bit too much. Um, I do like them. Like, I, I thought the Sights of Grace was a cool way of putting in a bonfire without a bonfire. And also yeah. serving as guides. So I thought they're a clever way of implementing that into an open world setting. But it does seem like there's so, so many of them. Yeah. I think uh, not a complaint per se, but perhaps a personal preference is that there are like... So the game contradicts itself just a little bit. So when you first walk out into Limgrave, right? Like you obviously are teased by the stone sword key gate right to your right when you just before the exit right the elevator so it's like why can't i access this area oh it requires a stone sword key okay i'll keep that in mind that's an important game mechanic yet another perfect example of how FromSoft teaches you mm -hmm. what to expect with their games so that's fantastic but i do feel like the tree sentinel is too easy to get around now he's beautiful his massive thickness just standing in front of your face you know in, in trying to direct you in a different direction maybe mm -hmm. i'm sure his purpose is there is like multi is multi-purposeful it's trifold threefold whatever but i don't think he does a good enough job of of deterring you in the right direction and sure. the reason i say that is because there's too many i keep hearing too many people that are going to the weeping peninsula that are way over leveled for it because they did lyernia first way. Exactly. Right. And I don't think the game does a good enough job of directing you in that direction. It's like, it's almost an afterthought area. And it, I agree. And it's kind, it yeah. kind of is a bummer. Like I wanted there to be a demigod down there or something. I don't know. Maybe that's too much to ask, but even a lot of the other castles felt much more in depth and had a much more satisfying boss fight at the end. Um, and this one, that's just definitely was not the case. It and I almost like felt like I'm missing something when I was playing that part. I was like, yes, Peninsula, because it like, feels, yeah, 
Yeah, that one definitely, I'd say tacked on is a great way to explain that particular area. Cause it feels anticlimactic. Like the misbegotten does. you fight has a weapon that's like, yeah, it's cool, but like it's not, you know what I'm saying? It's weird. And there's not a strong enough connection between uh, Irina and Hayata. Um, there, there's not enough. I know they're almost identical. And I wonder if that's a mistake because it's not clear that Irina becomes Hayata. I mean, it seems clear because they look identical, but it's weird. Like her body is there and then it's behind the castle. And it's hmm. like, yeah, and it's kind of odd. Like I feel like they could have touched that up a little bit, made that sharper. But also too, I think Margit the Fell Omen should have been in the Weeping Peninsula as the final boss because hmm. because he's he's in Starmerville Castle and I guess that makes sense. But it made, what would have made more sense to me is that is if Margaret the Fell held the key to Stormvale's main gate. And it just said, you know, you need a you need there a key you to get into the gate or something like that. And then that would have been but also too the way he shows up is he's a great because he's so close to the main area, you head right for him. Right. Right. And then if you can't so I guess he's kind of like the deterrent to, you know, get away from that area and send you back. But it's not clear that if you can't beat him, you shouldn't just stick around in the area. Yeah. So again, I feel like weeping peninsula. And then if you get snared, the transporter trap, it takes you all the way to Caled, which if you survive and you have to, to keep going, you're over in that area. Um, so I don't know. It's, it just does a weird little misdirect for making weeping peninsula, the actual easiest area. Um, yeah. And so that's a little funky to me. It's like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. say we are very much off of our original topic of combat <laughs> that's fine because well we, I think the we world bled into traversal a, I thought it was actually a nice gentle transition into it traversal. is but I feel like we there's so much more about like I don't know, <laughs> bosses and sure well like types of combat um, but no, no no actually along the lines of what we're talking about now I know you mentioned but would so you would say crumbling Faramazula is your favorite area or yeah. map of the map yeah why because, is that just because of its awesome like design, I guess? Yeah. Design is one for sure, but also Malekith, you know, I fell in love with the area mm. before I got to Malekith the Black Blade, but then he became my favorite boss by far. Um because he's a character that is Why? fallible. Okay, sorry, you're gone. No, you're fine. Uh he's a uh He's the character that is fallible. He's also he's been betrayed, but he's fiercely loyal. He's an insanely good, you know, fighter. His second phase is so much different than his first phase. It's like two bosses in one. 
Um, it's a respect to you as a tarnished because he's dedicated to his thing. He's got this Smeagol-like energy a little bit um, where he's like, I will not have the rune of death. Obviously, his voice actor is fantastic, but they do a little bit of manipulation on there, so he's beast-like. And then he's got some weird, like his arena is beautiful and awe-inspiring, and you get the tornado that's swirling the whole thing. And then Crumbling Faramazula has like numerous offshoots of like different areas. I remember writing in my notebook, okay, I got to this grace and decided to take a right. I need to take a left. I still have to explore that direction. Um, I, you know, I had this, I had this. I have to deal with numerous different, like verticality that's off the charts, circling back, um, running up and over, like crumbling rock formations to get to the next area, multiple ways of attacking. The Godskin duo is in there and you can get to their boss fight three different ways. Like, come on. Like, it's just, it's masterful level design. It's beautiful. It keeps things in perspective. It gets you lost. You feel like an adventurer. You fight dragons. You fight beast men, which are significantly more challenging than just your standard soldier. They're heavy hitters. They're bigger than you. They're intimidating. They're ugly. You fight banished knights. I mean, come on. It's it's the best area, I think, (laughs) by far. Like, it's really not close. Um, And um, Malekith's background, like, has this massive like picture of i guess the Erd tree and the the great runes that makes it look like there's way more to the story than you think there is and yeah. why is there a girl surrounded by three wolves like what's up with that symbology it reminds me of my summons the three wolf summons but it's like that's another part of the lore which we should totally get into and uh, i'm i'm not sure if either of us have decided on whether this needs to be a two-part podcast or not i'm fine with whatever but um, but like the three wolves that you are given when you are when Rena, who she it's really Ronnie, but she introduces herself as Rena the witch. She says this bell was supposed to be given to you. It's the belongs to Torrent's former master, which Melina didn't give it to you. So where did it come from? And hmm. then there's the three wolves with the little girl in Malaketh. So like, is the former master was Torrent a gift to Melina? whose mother is Queen Merica, and that's who owned the some the spirit bell. And so it's like there's so many things that are like tying in, and Crumbling Faramazula is the only place where you fight the old Elden Lord, Dragon Lord Placidusax. It's also the only place that you can convert the Lord of Frenzied Flame ending. It's the only way you can unlock yourself from that ending. Um, it's the only pl- there's so many things, but it's just my favorite by far. Why um, is it the so. way that it is? I don't know if I know the answer to that. What do you mean? Like, it looks like it's caught in after some explosion, and it's just, like, whirling in the tornadoes. Like, why is it that way? Because isn't there, like, a moment where you can kind of see it beforehand? Or am I Uh, thinking of something else? No, I just don't know the answer. The answer is that uh, Faramazula used to be the, used to be the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Used to be the... Throne? Room? The, no, no, the, the royal city. Sorry, pardon me. I, mm. I froze up on my words there. It used to be a royal city where the dragon lord, the, before Placidusax, what, reigned. But it has always been a time outside of, a place outside of time, and it has been crumbling since time immemorial. So it's actually like frozen inside of time, and you can see that when you fight dragon lord Placidusax, you go right. back in time, and it, recre- it like turns the tornado in reverse and recreates the the place that this used to be right okay that's so what i'm thinking of then when i was thinking yeah. of it going yeah yeah 
it's outside of time, so that's why it does that. But um, and then very the very Lords unique are, in that regard compared to the rest yes. of the game because like it definitely is. I mean, uh, the time thing, notwithstanding, but like it's separate from everything else. Like you teleport there, you don't actually walk there. There's not any bridge there, no um, lift. Um, mm-hmm. It's very much way out of the way. It's on its own on the far side of the map. Um, that and I guess the Halig tree kind of feels that way too, although that's connected in a small way. Um, but that definitely gives it a very unique feeling to the rest of the game, which does have all kinds of myriad of connections, including teleports, but also just the direct way that you go, um, which is awesome. I love that about the world itself. Um, but that's definitely a point in Azula's uh, court there for sure. Yeah. Which one is your favorite? I have to ask. I think I would have to go with just the Altus Plateau. If I can incorporate the Holy Capital into it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you consider those separate or not. No, um, it's all the same area. It's all like that golden vibe. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's part of why is this, the aesthetic of it was really neat to me. I think it fits what I believe Elden Ring ought to look like a lot more than, I mean, Caleb is awesome because of what happened to make it look that way, but yeah. it is so shocking because of how different it is from what is a genuinely beautiful world. Like, um, the underground, the mountaintop of the giants, um, obviously Landel, the holy capital, and even uh, Lyernia and Limgrave. Like, they're all beautiful. And so, as far as beauty is concerned, I think Altus Plateau kind of takes the cake. And then Caleb, of course, is the gut punch of disgustingness in your face. Um, yeah. To really throw you for a loop. But I also like... Um, the uh, if it splits off into the mountain and the uh, Mount Galmir is really awesome in its own way, uh, kind of interconnected there. And then uh, the plateau itself, there's just like a, I don't know. There was a sense of openness that I enjoyed there. I think Limgrave especially is incredibly dense, which is awesome for the start of the game because it almost feels like that's the whole game because of how dense it is. But yeah, by real. the time I got to Altus Plateau, I wanted something a little bit more. And there's still a ton to do there, but um, there's there's a lot more slopes and, and openness to it. You can find Gold Mask there, um, which is an interesting guy. And uh, obviously, there's a couple routes up to the Holy Capital itself. And so you can figure out which way you want to take for that. Um, and I think it's got a lot of really cool dungeons, especially. So... I liked that, and I liked being able to get there by the lift or by the tunnel, which I thought was cool as well. Um, but honestly, it's even as I say all of that, there are so many other parts of this game, including Crumble and Faramazula, obviously. Um, but the Halligjury is cool. Um, Kaled is awesome. <laughs> it's insane, but it's awesome. Um, the undergrounds, I mean, I just it's, it's so hard to choose because all it of is, it yeah. is is breathtaking and exciting and interesting and full of different creatures and even different stories. Um, the cuckoos of um, the Raya Academy versus uh, the capital and like what Lyernia has changed based on that. And um, Kaled and the fight between Mikola, or not Mikola, uh, Millennia and um, 
Radon, I don't know why I'm struggling with their names, like having just totally destroyed what I'm sure used to be a wonderful looking place as well. Um, (laughs) And seeing how it's just dripping with rot and uh, monsters and just, oh man, I just love every part of this, of this world. Um, It really does take what Breath of the Wild did because in Breath of the Wild, that was the, the center personality was the world, you know, like, yeah. For sure. That was that was the showpiece almost of what that game was. And it yeah, takes many, that and just drives it up like a hundred percent. I don't know. Um it's no, amazing. Breath of the Wild does like environmental constraints really, really well. And while um while uh Elden Ring has lots of like pathing and different emphases, like if it's raining, your flame spells don't do as much damage, but your lightning spells are enhanced, or if it's um um if the if it's nighttime, you get more rune collection, um, etc. Things like that. Um, but certainly, the different versions. I'm just glad there's no like Blight Town. You know, like there's a Swamp of Ionia, but it's like not, not really. It's there, but it's not quite a centerpiece. Um, and um, no, I, I enjoy, there's the Lake of Rot, but that's not, like not a super dense area. Yeah, I'm trying Blight to think Town. of a like, Blight Town comparison. I don't know if there is one. You're right. It would be like it would be for sure. It would be Lake of Rot or the Swamp of Ionia, but because of torrent it's right not as big of a deal right right yeah. so, torrent breaks that what would have been a brutal slog through Caleb. yeah for sure for sure um but yeah i i certainly um i think too that the giving everyone a bunch of space and like allows for just the best sprinkling of mini bosses i've ever heck seen yeah. in the game yeah heck yeah and, dude yeah, it's uh, it's it doesn't sacrifice any. I mean, it's certainly more. It's hard. It's really hard to say. Like, shout out to the creepy watchdogs. Seriously, freaky dude. And, and you have like you have regular enemies, and you have scarlet rot afflicted enemies. You have. I love that you mentioned the knights. That's such a cool thing. Is that the cuckoo knights are different from the you know, Landell knights, which are different from the Millennia's knights, which are different from Radon's the knights. The Karia like, knights and yes, yeah. exactly. Uh, and that's that's really you know really dope. I I love that how much detail goes into each of these you know areas and bosses and enemies and stuff. And yeah, um, and the use of well, do you feel like so since we're talking about the open world, do you feel like the um, I was talking like again I was talking to my friend today. I'm glad he and I had this conversation before I got on this podcast. But like his one of his complaints is that he feels like. Elden Ring is too repetitive and that it, you know, uses bosses too frequently and, um, you know, think of the Godskin apostles, they're hard enough and then you get a duo of them, right? Uh, and then you have the Crucible Knights, they're hard enough on their own, then you get two of them sometimes in a dungeon or you get a Crucible Knight and a Misbegotten or you get a, you know, pair of Cemetery Shades or, sure. you know, two... You know it, the repeat of the mini bosses, the ulcerated chief spirit, the tree avatar, and I, I, my counterpoint to him, and it's true because like the third church of America goes all the way up to like the seventh church of America, right? They all the churches <laughs> look the same, and um, you know slight variations here and there, but they all look the same. Um, do you think the game repeats itself? Because I'll tell you what I told him, but I want to know your, what your opinion is on it too. I think as far as landmarks, no. Like I think that just creates cohesion. Like having a variety of churches and towers and 
um, or minor Erd trees and like uh, basically identifiable landmarks makes it feel like, oh, this is one game. Um, if they changed it up every single new area, that would not work, I don't think. I, I think there would be some profound issues with that. So as far as landmarks are concerned, no, I don't think repetition um I, even if there is that there is absolutely i mean you've you got like 50 ever jails <laughs> so like you're gonna run across them um i don't think that that's a problem i think that's just good game design but as far as like enemies and bosses i could see that i could like and I think that comes down to, like, how much lore you really want out of this. Like, do you really want them to build into every single cave and every single catacomb? And they do in the Heroes' Graves. Like, in the Heroes' Graves, there's a little bit of lore. And even in some of the other catacombs and stuff, you'll come across a boss that has some tie as some person's lackey or whatever. And then you get the ability to summon them. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, so, like, I'm okay with them swapping out bad uh, bosses the basic generic ones in caves and whatnot like and at the beginning of the game too all they do is throw like regular enemies at you but because it's the beginning of the game they're tough like literally we were just talking about on the weeping peninsula the boss there is just one of the beasts from azula is one of the azula beasts whatever they call them um so is he um, i might be mistaking that i'm pretty sure yeah uh you're you're correct in the the concept, but wrong in the exact example. Like they do, okay. mi- they'll okay. they'll use a boss for a dungeon, and then in later game areas, that'll just be a standard enemy. <laughs> it just yeah, shows how much you so grow for sure. I the Misbegotten is but... different than the Beastmen of Faramazula, but there is a couple catacombs, uh, or maybe just one cave. I can't remember where a Beastman is the final boss. So you're you're right that 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 does happen. It's just not okay. that specific example. Yeah, yeah, my bad. And to finalize my my response though. Um, I think that that's fine personally, like, and I guess that's more preference than anything. I could see why that could feel repetitive and why it's like, Oh, every single cave has a box at the end. But to me, I like that. And it does create a sense of finality. Like, okay, I have finished this cave. Like it feels like a dungeon I ran through, which is just basic classic dungeon crawling gaming to me. So not an issue, but I could see that. And I could see the recycling of various enemies as a problem. But I don't think you can really count that as a fault in any category because even though they recycle a few, the amount of insane variety in the enemy types in this game is mind-boggling. And how dare you think that you could come up with more? <laughs> like, my goodness, man. And this is part of design that maybe if we we want to cut things off for the evening and record again another day, we can talk about in more detail, but... My goodness, the amount of variety, craziest enemy designs, dude, of any game, I think. And that includes from software, which has been nothing if not original in how many different crazy uh, enemies and, and types of enemies and lore behind them there has been. Now you got these crazy horned guys. You've got all these dudes with a bunch of limbs off them with the grafted creepy fingers all over the place. And oh my goodness, I think my least favorite are those hand spider things? Yeah, it's just dude, a, those are freaky. It's like a hand with like 15 fingers and it's running at you like a like instead of having giant spiders, they just made a nasty creepy hand thing. Um and it's got long nails and everything. But like, oh my gosh, dude, such originality. And like even within the knights like we were talking about and you didn't um, you didn't mention the crucible knights in that particular category, but like those horned 
like almost ancient looking knights like you can obviously tell are of a different class a different breed um almost like they're i don't know like to me it gave me a vibe of like a shonen like on the outskirts of of society like uh, mm-hmm. going against like that was what those particular knights gave me the impression of and that was all just from my few encounters with them in like dark recesses of the world and like it's funny that you say goodness. that because in the lore the crucible knights the crucible is an ancient order that actually comes into conflict with the golden order and so they start to be shunned in society that's so that funny makes perfect that. sense then dude that's the exact <laughs> impression that i get from it and honestly like that's just the way all of the level our enemy design goes so yeah okay every now and then you're gonna face another pumpkin head or um you're gonna face another twist on the crystallians uh, there's three instead of two this time oh, oh or you know the what are they called the pregnancy things the things that like snatch you and, and put you inside them that sounds weird oh the yeah, they're abductors. They call yeah. them the virgin abduct- abductors. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's a pregnancy. Yeah. Um, they're virgins. But nonetheless, um, like, you know, you'll just get, like, one and one, and then two and another, and then three and another. Like, okay, I get it. Like, you guys had a ton in this game, so you recycled here and there. I'm not going to count that against them. Um, I, I also, but what was just, your response? My response was that, like, I don't think you have a choice. It's like, listen, you cannot sell $60 games and expect to make enough to pay the salaries of your staff for the next three years while you make unique bosses for every single dungeon. Right, There's just you gotta no stop way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So like you're, especially if it's a dungeon that you want to include but does isn't that important. It's like yeah, throw a generic boss in there. Come on, man. Like. Your complaint isn't against like lazy creators; it's against the constraints of time and money. Like, there's no—I don't want a game every five years. I want one at most once every two and a half years. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I think there's probably more of a gap in between the latest games. And I really don't like. I wouldn't want Miyazaki to hear me say that and be like, "What a spoiled rotten brat." That's not what I mean. It's <laughs> like, but you see what I'm saying? Like, your yeah. complaint is not against like the creativity of the authors; it's against their constraints under time money and capitalism and And you know jared don't the main bosses make up for that i totally that's that's also what i said i was like at least your main it's not like they're repeating main bosses it's just a couple dungeon bosses are repeatable and the erd tree avatars are the same so you know what to expect like you do need some consistency inside like and it's like factions too though like you want to see the cuckoo knights outside of the Korean the Carrion Royal Manor. You don't want to see Lane Dell Knights. You know what I mean? So there is something like, you, I think you're complaining when you don't need to be as far as like variety. So I, I think you're, I think you're totally right. That is all. Yeah. The, the variety of the main bosses is perfectly enough. And what you don't need original it. Yeah. bosses, dude, like, yes, yes. Amazing. Each and every single one of them. Like, Oh my goodness! This they went all out with the boss design, which I am so glad they did because it would have been easy. And I think in the case of say Dark Souls Three, it definitely feels like 
the boss design is a little phoned in. Um, but here they went, they went all freaking out. They went Dark Souls 3 DLC levels, um, different stages. I mean, you brought up um, Malekith and how different of a boss he feels between his stages. Um, obviously, the the last boss, Radagon, being that as well. But, like, I just, I even if there is some repetition in the enemies in the world itself, like, the amount of insane originality that goes into these boss fights makes up for it by leaps and bounds and that goes for every single one from godwin to godric to margot okay margot's not my favorite but even within his boss fight like there's some change there's some interesting thing happening with him defending the earth tree um i guess i just like i don't get it it's it's and okay so here's my question now what is your favorite boss fight um you said Malekith, right? Yeah, Malekith. So then, what would be your boss? least yeah. favorite, or maybe har- the hardest one for you? Might be the way to put it. Well, I think both intentionally. Well, I think it's they made Millennia the hardest boss intentionally. Um, yes, absolutely. They wanted her I mean, to she be could epic. Heal herself. Yeah, they wanted her to be epic. Um, they her the power of her great rune, uh, you know. The, the great rune of rot essentially is that she um she heals when she smacks you right like your your flask of uh, crimson tears doesn't do as much um and i something like i think your hp might be reduced a little bit but but every time you smack someone it heals you for a little bit of damage um and that you know i my my i am the blade of mikola i've never known defeat she has to be epic if she's saying stuff like that and um the the and they also increase the epicness of Radon when they say that they fought to a standstill. The woman who has never known defeat and Radon fought her to a standstill. And Radon's holding back the very stars. And you know, like Godfrey has a you know a twelve combo, a twelve hit combo. You've got to be kidding me! Like I don't think any other boss in the Dark Souls games has a twelve hit <laughs> combo. He is insane, and his Horalu form is even more insane. Yes, um, and so. The there's absolute infinitude within the bosses. They are epic. My second favorite would probably be Radagon. The Elden Beast okay. annoys me a little bit um, sometimes. Um, I agree, but but Radagon is a boss sauce, dude. Like he the is. king of delayed attacks. Like I'll dodge roll oh, and he'll be like, "Nope, I'm still waiting for you." <laughs> and it'll wreck me every time. Um, sometimes <laughs> I'll attacks, spend, man. yeah. Sometimes I'll spend like eight to ten tries on Radagon and the Elden Beast will only take me two, you know, so it's just something about something about Radagon in my build at that time because I'll switch it up a little bit, uh, which we should talk about respecking um, uh, in a little bit too. There's some things about combat that we overlooked, but but um, the, um, yeah, boss fights and, and stuff like that. I, uh, Renala is, she's a, a, like a combination of a gimmick fight and a standard sorcery fight, but she, she can pack a punch too. Um, Malekith would be my favorite. Uh, Godric is really... So Godric and Ricard, Rikard, Praetor Rikard, what they lack in physicality, although the Rikard fight is hard, but then they give you the serpent. You know, it's yeah. kind of like the Yorm, Yorm the Giant fight, very similar in DS3. Right, right. Um, the, so the... But the Rikard fight, like that voice actor is what makes that fight super memorable. You know, Absolutely. Um, that, that's fantastic. And Godric Same the Same with Godric, like no, it's... Yes, it's the, yes. 
it's the like grossness of what you're seeing that makes it remarkable. <laughs> yes. And, uh, you know, his like gravelly, like thou art the true heir. And then he rip, you know, punches his, the dragon and like makes it part of his arm. Like <laughs> that's nuts, dude. Come on, man. Yeah. Um, transitions so, like, and bosses like this, this game nails that. <laughs> dude. Boss phases, first and second phases, are fantastic. The only other uh, FromSoft game I think has better second phase bosses is probably Sekiro. But Sekiro, that, I'd say the same. Yeah, but uh, but first, so who who is your favorite? Oh man, I gotta go with Star Scourge Radon, man. Yeah, Radon all the way. <sighs> the spectacle of it, the way that I think his well, there's probably I guess Malekith changes the map too because the capital gets destroyed, but. Uh, he sends a freaking meteor or a star through the map and changes the map when you defeat him because yeah he's holding back the stars the lore behind what's going on all these warriors gathering together to take out the man who they all respect and because he's gone mad they're just wanting to put him out of his misery like I just that is some of the greatest in-game storytelling of any video game ever like and and the way that it all worked out and then looking back on it now like it makes perfect sense like oh Kaled is covered in rot because of this epic battle um and you've been meeting with a variety of these dudes across the map like if you take some time to go to there then you slowly gather pals that keep mentioning this festival and that's what they call it. it's like the festival um in honor of radon even though they're trying to kill him um, and it's just like, man, I don't know something about all of that. I don't think there has been any from software game that has come close to touching just the epic, I think, setting of Radon because the boss fight itself is pretty straightforward. Um, really, I mean, you're, you're given torrent for it. I think that's one of the only ones you can ride torrent on. Uh, so that makes it very easy to cheese, especially if you're sorcery or if you're, you know, uh got a distance build in any way shape or form like you can just keep summoning people to help you uh but there's something about that sense of like you have to charge up the hill as you're doing it like you and all of these guys that you've met on your journey are with you and you're all going to do it not because you hate the man but because you want to honor him and then as he falls like the world trembles and like everything changes like something about that just i loved and i don't think any other boss fight topped it in that respect now technically if we get down to the technical level my favorite i think would have to go to radagon um definitely a difficult boss i think millennia is harder obviously i think malekith was one that took me a lot longer to actually um master i, I got yeah. through radagon a little bit faster and maybe just because i had just had to go through malekith first or something i don't know and it taught me something uh but those are the ones I'd say are, are kind of the hardest and, and least favorite because of that. Because you're just, I, in my, my mind anyway, I was just pounding my head against the wall. Uh, and those are the times, you know, where From Software is not fun. Like, the You Died is such a meme. It's like, a, oh, ha, ha, okay, I just started From Software. Okay, yeah, Dark Souls, it killed me. Um, I get You Died. But after you've seen that 102 times trying to hit the same guy like you're uh -huh. done like you're ticked <laughs> your your palms are sweaty like so those guys definitely gave me all three of them uh malekith millennia and radicon gave me that experience which is i mean it's classic from software 
Uh, but my favorite still goes to Radon simply because of the backdrop of it, I guess. I can't, I can't uh, lie to you. After having played the game through twice, Radon becomes a <clears throat> a non-factor, really, because you he does. because by the time you do a, a replay, Godric, Renala, and Radon are all they're non-factors. Um, You're right, partially because you can choose between the three of them for how you want to move forward. You don't, you don't need all three of them. You just need two, um, and Radon tends to be easier because you've mastered the first playthrough and so second playthrough is way easy and he only gets a small buff in subsequent playthroughs so if you're continuing your character like me he's going to be much much all three of the first you know the lower level bosses are going to be shard bearers are going to be easy as all get out um not easy pardon me not easy as all get out but like you just you kind of get in the rhythm you get used to them and yep. they don't take more than one try um, no, i noticed that on all three of their counts but especially with radon i just I'm in like 50 hours into my second playthrough, um, really like combing the map as I go through. And honestly, I missed a lot on my first playthrough, which has been awesome to see. Like, I think I felt like I finished the first playthrough with 60% of the game. And now I'm beginning to think it was closer to like 50 or even 40% of the game. Sure. Um, there was just so much I missed. But Radon, because I kind of knew the tactics, I knew where everything was laid out. Um, I had thrown myself at that hill so many times already just trying to get past the arrows. So like getting through it on my second playthrough was a lot easier. And I knew at that point too, like, okay, you got to kind of just stay back, let the other guys draw his attention. Um, he's going to fall out of the sky in a star, kind of like those little ninja dudes in Sekiro. Um, so just like <laughs> be ready for that. So I agree. It does kind of lessen the effect, but that's kind of, that's games in general, you know, right it, on their right. second and third playthroughs. Yeah. You just, you understand it and you know how to yeah. exploit it. So I don't know if that takes away from it is what I, it, what I'm trying it to doesn't say. take away from the epicness of the first playthrough, dude. I mean, come on. The, the, the guy falls from the sky as a meteor yeah. <laughs> for it to start his second phase. Like that is so boss sauce. And there's been a lot to, has been made about the fact that he went through like sorcery school just so that he could ride his horse, even though he had grown to massive proportions. So like, there's just yeah. like silly things about his lore that I think are are great as well. Radon and and that would be if you wanted to a perfect segue into the lore. Um, Radon actually makes the least sense to me out of all the demigods. Um, <laughs> okay, I'm curious. I, well, let me. So, so here's one of the things that I love. So, after I finished my first playthrough, I let myself fall into the community and the lore, and I love the community. Um, there's been some comments made recently. Um, uh, uh, what's his name? Um, Zios or Zippos or something. He's a Ziostorm, um, maybe. He's a YouTuber, and he is saying uh, that. His, you know, his clickbait title of his YouTube video is that Elden Ring is dying. And the whole argument of his video is that PvP is not strong enough to make this game last. So they really are floating on thin ice until they get a DLC to revivify interest because yeah. the PvP is weak compared to, you know, how... Because I remember in DS3, when I was... When I put on... When I joined the Blue Moon Wolf or something like that, the Wolf Covenant or whatever, I was summoned fairly often. And that's an old game. Um, whereas this one, I put on the blue cipher ring and there's no faction. So you're just summoned if you're summoned, that's it. You have the blue cipher ring and that's it. Um, but, um, if you, um, what's the word I'm looking for? If you are 
uh, summoned to another. There, it's going to be a a multiplayer affair. It's just something about the way I I can't remember all the details. I'm struggling, but the the game's PvP is much weaker in comparison to um, DS3, DS1, and, and stuff like that. And DS1 servers are actually coming back up uh, soon here. So apparently there's enough interest for that to happen. But but the my friend made a comment today. He's like, yes, but Dark Souls has always had the problem that whoever has the best, the, the lowest latency wins. And I guess I kind of see that, like, from a perspective of, you know, if you smack someone and all of a sudden they're behind you reposting, like, this is the dumbest thing you'll ever do in your life. <laughs> it's like, I'd rather not do that. And so it's the Dark game... Souls and, 1 PvP in a nutshell. <laughs> exactly. And that's, you know, super annoying. But it is what it is. You know, if you love it, you love it. If you don't, you don't. It's whatever. I don't mind invaders. I mean, they were a little annoying. Like, when I had you with me and then we got invaded, like, almost every time I summoned you, that got a little annoying, right? But there's nothing, you know... There's a PC mod going around where you can co-op without being invaded. Like, it doesn't trigger the, the server. You can still connect your games and stuff. Um, and But you won't be invaded while, like, the four of you are playing the game. And, like, that's a little... It's a little cheesy, I think. It kind of goes against what the, the devs wanted. But that's okay. It, it, it is what it is. It'll solve itself. It's a problem it's, that I'm not Correct worried about. Correct me if I'm wrong, but can you auto-invade someone? Like, you, can you do it without their will without having had them summon someone else first to you, or do they have um, to actively be wanting to be invaded i can't remember if there's like because i know in some of the other titles if they have like in dark souls 3 if they have uh what do they call it um whatever the flame the ember if you're embered you can get invaded like and in, oftentimes right after a boss you walk out and there would be someone who invades you because you automatically get embered after a boss but I don't yeah. think that's the case in Elden Ring. Unless you've already decided, like, okay, I, I want to go to a red summon sign, or you, I think there's an option. I can't remember if there is, like, an option to just open it up to allow people to invade you. Um, otherwise, you only get invaded if it's obviously an NPC or if you've already summoned someone. Correct yeah. me if I'm wrong on that. I actually am not sure, to be honest. I should know this, but I, I don't play PvP that often. Um, me either. And I yeah. think, I wonder if the open world takes away from that a little bit um, because in a game like Dark Souls 3, it's easy to funnel because just the way the game is built people into particular areas to be invaded. Whereas in this, because of the open world aspect to it, um, you just can't really do that. You can't funnel people towards invasions. So as an invader, even if you could just auto invade someone's world, like where do you go to do that most effectively? And, um, yeah, I, I just see a lot of problems because of that. And then I think the lack of factions, which I didn't even think about until you brought it up. Um, no ability to join Blue Sentinels or the, you know, um, the the Order of the Sun, whatever they call that. Well, I don't know why it's escaping me. I love Dark Souls. But um, I think that definitely is something that if they wanted to improve multiplayer would almost be crucial um, because that was something that Dark Souls had that that gave you, okay, if I'm a blue sentinel, I will be a protector of people who get invaded. And then it, yeah. uh, if I'm a, um, a, a, a tongue assassin, I can't even remember what they're called, but like if I have that particular guild that I'm a part of, then I will always be in a queue to invade other people, um, and so on and so forth. Like I think if they had some of those in there, that might solve the problem. 
but you sure. still have the inherent multiplayer issue of you just can't co-op in this game very easily. Um, I think that's yeah, a you big and I had how I've many seen. difficulties, dude? It's come yeah. on. Yeah, like there's got like especially for a game that's already as accessible as this one is. Like I can see you wanting to limit that in a more limited game like a Dark Souls one. But for all the options and opportunities you already have built into Elden Ring, like you got to be able to just let a friend and you just sync up, co-op, and then just play the game that way. Like, yeah. why the heck not? Like, you can already summon, and uh, to make it, like, to where they can't access different parts of the map, or, um, you know, I mean, obviously, both of you riding Torrent might be problematic, so I could see why they yeah. limited that, yeah. but I, that they was, still I think send that was you... a huge part of it, from what I've read. Sure, and, but, the, like, they, they still send you away after you beat a boss. Like, why do they need, like, why do they feel the need to do that? Because, yeah. obviously, if you're co-oping through this, I'm, the assumption is you want to like be with your buddy going all the way through the game and like that particular area. Um, yeah. But even coming against uh, a, a, a mid dungeon boss, you're going to all of a sudden have to resync and get back into the game and yeah. try and work through codes and everything. And it's just like, there's got to be a simpler modern way to connect, especially for co-op. I'm and, just guessing here, but um I think so. When was let me just Google this? I want to know when was DS3 released? 2016. I want to say 2016. Yep. Yep. Okay. Because then Sekiro is 2019. Oh, yep. Sekiro is 2019. And Sekiro is not co op, right? Nope. It's single yep. player only. So DS3 was 2016. So the last game that they released where you could co-op was either Dark Souls Remastered, I think, or... Sure, yeah. Or, or um, DS3, right? Yep. Let's see, Dark Souls Remastered. I, mean, I have a point for this. Uh, remastered release. Release. In those examples, though, like I said, I think it, they just lend themselves to better multiplayer connection than an open well, world game does. Yes, here's my point. I think they missed the boat on how like let's let's think for a second. When was Apex released? 2019. That was that was 2018, I think. Well, I just looked it up. It's 2019. 2019. 2019 is after the release of every Dark Souls game, every FromSoft game except for Sekiro and um Elden Ring. And Elden Ring st- is the same co-op system very similar to DS3 and I think mm-hmm. they missed the boat on this one because we are now, you know, living in a world in which our online friends and our gaming communities are tighter than they've ever been. And yeah. as opposed to DS3 in 2016, largely you're summoning strangers. And this game you and I wanted to play together. You know what I mean? Like so yeah. it, it was And I'm sure a they, lot of people were that way. A lot of people yes. bought this game. Yeah. Yeah, and they're like, play, play it with me, you know, can I summon you? And just having difficulties in, like, leveling or, you know, you know, 
um, what's the word? You know, I don't know what's the word I'm looking for. It's like the 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 threshold between like yes, how yeah, powerful yeah. you can be versus yeah. Yep. The person because, that's trying like, to summon you. You could join me, but I couldn't join you, or something like that. We had issues. Yeah, we yeah, yeah. Co-op and like that. It, there was too many restrictions that they put on it, and I think it's because they missed the the boat on the affinity of battle royales and helping each other out. Like I don't care what your level is. When you and Karina wanted me to play with you, uh, you were able to. We were able to sync up. No issues. Yeah. You know what I mean. And right. so. I think Elden Ring suffers from that. Just it's just my hypothesis. I could be way off in left field. And with this I get one. I like if you if you do allow like okay level eighty six Jared's character to join into my brand new level one game like that breaks the game. Like now yeah. I can just have you run through everything for me. So maybe the solution would be you get that as a token for your first playthrough i don't know like you unlock like now because you've completed the game once you have access to infinite multiplayer or whatever they i don't know uh, how they would package that but maybe that's the way to do it but there's just nothing there there's just like no solution at all there yeah there's a huge mismatch yeah that leaves a bit of a bad taste in my mouth but not enough to really even in my mind dock points against it because they still do what they do well. Like if the if the goal mm-hmm. is to sync up and have people work on bosses with you or whatever, sure you might not be able to get your particular friend every single time, but there are plenty of people um, that you can enjoy yep. the game with strangers online yep. and get that experience. And there's yep. a lot of different systems. I think the summoning pool system was a great way to work around it. Um, being able to send your sign to summoning pools. I know for me like. Uh, just putting down my own sign to practice against a boss was a great thing. Like, so it, it works. Like, it works just fine. Um, but it's ambiguously difficult when you're trying yeah. to directly connect with people, and I don't know why. Like, I don't know why that's yeah. still a problem. Yep. I think what they really could do, and this is, like, I'm trembling with excitement just thinking about it, is if you were to use the Colosseums to do three things. One, create factions. Um, create the ability to replay bosses, like say the Limgrave faction, or like make a name for it, Colosseum and Limgrave, right? There's one in Limgrave, there's one in Kaelid, and there's one in the Altus Plateau above the capital city. And like if you were to have factions based on each of those Colosseums, right? Um, sure. That'd be dope. Or if yeah. you could use those Colosseums to replay bosses or to pick and choose. This is totally modern. This doesn't really work in the medieval fantasy set. But like if you were to pick and choose bosses, that you could mix and match with, like let's say you want to face off against a cemetery shade and a crucible knight. Um, you know, hmm. you could make and choose that. I don't think that fits their brand really because that's too player choice almost. Like they don't like letting you do stuff like that. Like imagine if you could pick your boss every time you went to a dungeon. That's definitely not from software style. They um, want their personal design yeah, touch on exa- it. Yeah, exactly. So I don't I don't know that they'll go something like that route, but I have high hopes for DLCs in the future fixing their pvp system to make it so much more fun and enjoyable to play a way to like mitigate leveling like making a boss either in between two players levels or matching the highest players level i actually don't think that's unfair um no i agree right yeah so like even if like if you as the host die and it's because we keep trying to summon people that are too high level for us then you know it it is what it is you got to figure it out you got to work something around that way um Here's a thought, Jared. Yeah, go ahead. Here's a pitch. You take raids, like you get in like a Destiny, and you apply them 
to the Colosseums. Monthly right. raids, three hours long. You go through uh, a dungeon or something. Uh, three hours is too much, <laughs> but it's like a, a, a lengthy thing. You and your friends in your league get together, take on a raid. At the very end, you face Radagon, who then transforms into Millennia, <laughs> or you know, okay. like s- some mix-up on the original boss. Um, and that can be like a monthly challenge and gives you a reason to check in and a reason to connect with your friends and and do. And then that allows them to actually design the raid itself. That's what Destiny does. Like, that's what they're built on. Yeah. No, I like that idea. What do you think of that as a multiplayer option? And that's kind of something like they're kind of reminiscent of, um, that reminds me a little bit of the Bloodborne dungeons. Just a tiny bit. Sure. Um, Something similar to that, I think, would be appropriate for the Coliseums or something along yeah. those lines. And I, yeah. So I, I certainly see what you're saying. I think that that's that's what that made me think of. That's a smart idea. I like that. Um, I don't know. So. I don't know. I just so they think there do are something. ways that they can grow it. There are for yeah, sure. Yeah, for sure. I have high hopes for the DLC. So the reason... Maybe in an Elden um, Ring too. Oh, heck yeah, dude. <laughs> um, the reason I really like this game another one of the reasons is that the lore is so from soft and yet i've okay. made this complaint yes yes I've, I've made this complaint with every from soft game i've played except for this one that i just thought it was too vague it's like i don't like not having the answers that i want to have and yet for some reason this game's lore was enjoyably vague like i didn't mind that i didn't know everything i really enjoyed the fact that i don't know where so like this is what I was going to say earlier before we got off track here a little bit. The Radon is the most confusing character to me. And <laughs> here's why. And I'll, I'll preface this a little bit. Have you noticed, I'm sure you have, that there are the influence of outer gods. Um, yeah. The god of, and the go- some of yeah. that is more just after beating the game, looking up a few things. But, sure. Right. Yeah. And it, it, they're not super obvious, but they're in there. It's like. No. There's. Um, there's two moons. When you get to Rani's Plateau... No, so how, how many times have you actually finished the game? I've only finished it the one time. What um, ending did you get? I'm, I can't remember what you told me. Just the basic one. I didn't Major get fracture. any of the tarnished okay. endings. Yeah. Gotcha. So the if you do Rani's quest line, which I would highly recommend, that's the most completed quest line. I think it's over like 24.7% of people have completed that, that quest line. Um, the... Um, uh, the uh what am i trying to say you can only you can see two moons from her plateau you can see the light moon and the dark moon and that's super interesting to me because it seems like moon with a capital m it seems to suggest that rani is under like the influence of the the endless night the dark moon whereas queen ranala was under the guide the guideship of the light moon and you know uh Millennia is under the influence of the goddess of rot. Whereas, you know, um, uh, what's his name? Merica is under the influence of the greater will. The frenzied flame right. is the three fingers, which is just chaos incarnate and is trying to return the world to its primordial form, which is the great one, I think, or something like that, which is, you know, just the single entity, kind of like a, a amorphous blob. So it tries to burn the world down, right? And yet there's this concept of the glomide queen, you know, being behind the 
the in charge of death, the death right birth, death blight, um, and different things like this. Godwin the Golden being the prince of death now because of his body being, his soul being gone, but his body uncorrupted, right? Just crazy, like influences of outer will all over the place. Uh, uh, alabaster lords, you know, and all this different stuff. That There's so much to this game. And I love that there's so many like outer gods, as they put it, pulling at each of these characters because it makes it look like you are dealing with multiple layers of lore. You're dealing mm-hmm. with Ronnie, but who is she under the influence of? You're dealing right. with Radon, but who is he being influenced by? And it's it Ronnie and Praetor Rikard, oh, Praetor Rikard's another huge one. He's being he's been consumed by the great serpent. And so you right. have to contend with the fact that you are literally beating down a god who has consumed Praetor Rikard, right? That's insane to me. There's so ma- there's so much depth here. Um, and the serpent that devours the world, maybe that's a little bit reminiscent of Norse mythology, right? Jormungandr, um, god of war throwback there. But the, I, I love that aspect to things like that because it means, it means that there's so many different conflicts of interest. So Radon is the most interesting to me for a number of reasons. One, he is a master of gravity sorcery, but he was taught all that he knows by an alabaster lord. An alabaster lord came to the lands between via meteorite that crashed into the earth. But the meteorite that crashed into the earth, you know, obviously did not, is not the same as the falling star beast because Radon takes what he knows, holds back the stars for whatever reason, which then holds Ronnie's fate at bay. But they're siblings. And Ronnie and Praetor Rikard, she gives Praetor Rikard a, 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 a stone with the um, inscription of the rune of death so that he could challenge Malekith, the Black Blade, if it didn't go well that night. Like, there's so many different, like, things that are pulling against each other that you never know who you're going to deal with. And Radon, he's got siblings, but he also really likes his father Radagon, but he's also, you know, fighting Millennia, who is the true child of his father Radagon and his father Radagon is also Queen Merica. Like there's so much going on. Um, <laughs> and and he his motivations don't make a ton of sense to me. Like why is he why is he holding back the stars when it arrests his sister's fate? But he's also, you know, why why was he fighting Millennia who was the hand of Mikola and Mikola being Well that was Arian. just like part of the shattering, was it not? Right. Like they all like, kind of why are just they vying fighting? for it was just like whoever could get control of the Elden Ring and mm-hmm. become the next lord. Yeah, it didn't make so it doesn't make any sense. Basic power. I don't know. I felt like it was a basic power struggle. Um, Ronnie was the one that like rejected all of that. So her, she's definitely like the loose cannon, and that definitely makes sense. I I agree. I didn't think about it that way, but why is he kind of suspending her fate in that way? Mm-hmm. Um, because she's not. In I mean, in the case of Millennia, she's in direct competition with her, so that is interesting. And yeah. I I just in my mind I like how his whole thing just plays out, and the background to it only makes it more exciting. He is a pretty straightforward character in his uh, persona, and I would have said in his like actions and what he was doing. But now that you brought up a couple points, that does make me wonder. Um, if maybe he hadn't been thought through completely, yeah. uh, but 
you're right in that the different um, power centers that are all pulling in different ways just makes this, I think, um, immensely more interesting, satisfying, in-depth of a lore than, than Dark Souls ever was. Yeah. And and that's that's awesome. Like the, for, the, for them to deliver on that as well, on top of everything else that they've delivered on, uh, is great. And I think that is like some of that that power center struggle and the characters that all are influenced in different ways by those uh a lot of the dualism in the symbolism i mean the idea of mm-hmm. um radagon and merica but also being the same person but they're kind of like the the side that serves the golden order um and then gets disillusioned and then the other side that seeks the power now of the Alden ring and tries to reforge it and like they they're they're a dualistic concept of one particular power center struggle um and then you've got light versus death in general like just life versus death being a very interesting power struggle um the earth tree giving birth rebirth to everybody um and so there was no death until ronnie on the night or whatever of uh what was it the the night of assassins or whatever um he uses the rune of death and kills a demigod for the first time like um that dualism of of life versus death um the golden order versus uh i guess a lot of people <laughs> but i was thinking yeah, specifically else, really. the uh yeah. the volcano manor and uh you don't really at first you're thinking like at first you're thinking okay the two fingers they're the ones you're supposed to follow because they're in the round table hold and that's obviously the good side of things but over the course of time um people tell you and you kind of pick up on like no they're not necessarily just because they're the golden order and they're the bright shiny happy people doesn't mean that they're the right pick and you've got a lot of different nuances in there and i think that's where george r R. martin really came in and helped uh because he's, he's a master of that like if nothing else the man is a master of of gray political nuance and struggle and um i think that's where he really took his touch and took this game to the next level. But of course, then Miyazaki took that and expanded into it and built in all the fantastic detail um, of what happened in the shattering and whatnot. Um, but because of that, I, I do, I do love the game for that reason as well. There's just so much to it. Everyone is being influenced by an outer god, and then why is it that you got the like dragons there? Like, what's going on yeah. with them? What were they doing? What what's up with the crucible? Um, like, what the heck is going on? The dragon communion, you know, with you know, thing like notes of like um, Radagon's golden disc of light, right? And then Mikola gifted him the three discs of light, and then it says, but he also parted and left the golden order to find to found the Halig tree. And like, what's Mikola's doing? Like, what's, what's his deal? Did he bewitch everyone? It says that he is very capable of, of creating affection yeah. for himself. What's up with that? Who is St. Trina? 
the Lord of uh, Blood, uh, Moog, is being influenced by the outer god, uh, the formless mother. Like, what? That's right. That was another one. There's so much going on. And then Gideon. Gideon, who wants to become Elden Lord. Oh, yeah. Dis- the Tarnished decide- in general, dude. Yeah. Decides that um, what we are trying to do is impossible. He knows it in his bones that a Tarnished can never become a god. Is this all a, Is this all fake? Is this all a facade? Um who who does Melina turn into in the secret bonus ending after the Frenzy Flame? Because if you if you do Frenzy Flame before you do the Forge of Giants, she does not sacrifice her body as the maiden to kindle the flame. It's you instead. And so she ends there's a bonus scene at the end where her eye is open. It's blue. It's the same color as Ronnie's. So are they the same person? We don't know. And then hmm. her other one is like twilight colored. Is she the gloam eyed queen? We don't know. There's so much going on. There's so much going on. And it's it, the speculation is out the wazoo because if you were to look at the lore implications, your spreadsheet would look like the roots of a tree. Go, oh, you hmm. know, I made that little pun there. But um, I like it. The, I like it. Yeah, yeah. But the it's so absolutely crazy. Um, and Ronnie is, you know, she's inhabits a doll. Why does it have four arms, et cetera? All this different stuff. So it's it's just craziness. It's absolute craziness, yeah. and I love I love every second of it. It's one of my favorite parts is like looking up a Vatavidia, or there's one uh, by um, I don't remember his name. I want to say it's AGT Jake who goes off on a crazy crazy left wing tangent on all of the demigods <laughs> and what the and it's so enjoyable. He goes on for like forty five minutes, all of it captivating and absolutely nuts. I I love the whole community surrounding it. Yeah. Um, and Ronnie yeah. by far like is the most interesting i think and then also the most baller because almost every other character is either like a main boss or like closely associated with a main boss but yeah. she's very much a side like she's an npc side quest yes but is almost way more important than all the other main bosses are so yeah. i feel like that's just like totally baller and then also makes for a fantastic quest that plays out for a really long time is fairly easy to follow. I know I got tripped up once you get down into the uh, uh, river, but um, otherwise, like obviously the best one, and just show like is great. It's a great a great example of the nuance of the story. She rejects the golden order and just living forever, and decides to side with death. Kills her now brother, right? Like he wasn't originally her brother, but because she became a demigod. Is that what I'm... I'm correct, right? Godwin yeah, was before... And, wait, which one? Who? Godwin, right? Godwin's the one that got killed, right? Yeah, but Godwin... Um, Godwin... Godwin is not Ronnie's brother. Correct. She, he's her stepbrother, right? Yes. Anyway, yeah, I was just trying to clarify that, but... Yeah. She's just... She exemplifies that there's there's some depth to this. There's mm-hmm. some depth to the lore, and it's... It's very satisfying to discover it because of that. Um, and I would say, in my opinion, maybe maybe you disagree, Jared, but I think this is the most accessible lore, too. Yes, for sure. Um, maybe Sekiro edges it out, but I felt like I had a fairly good understanding, for the most part, of what was going on, um, as long as you're paying close enough attention. Would you agree with that? 
Yeah, yeah, I would. I would I would say that Sekiro is going to be a more cohesive package. I'll tell anyone this. It's like the difference between Sekiro and all the other Souls games is that there's very little vagueness in Sekiro. There's some like loose ends, there's some open mythology, there's some whatever. But for the most part, is it, it is a homage to ancient Japanese legend, to the warring between samurai and shinobi, to between modernity, heretical belief, uh, the study of immortality and power, like... There's pretty simple elements going on there, and the game is primarily about the combat and um, and and uh, you know dealing with the the supernatural as a as a dope shinobi. You know, it's like it's just a much more cohesive package. It doesn't delve into many different. It doesn't have its fingers in many different pots. It just has Japanese mythology and history, quasi historical game and combat, and that's that's it. And um, also, it's like mildly horrific it's got a a horror feel to it yeah as opposed to elden ring which seemingly is pulling from norse mythology they've got dragons they've got worms they've got uh underground cities they've got you know there's so much going on uh Hmm. there's so many tendrils of of lore and poking out in different places um definitely the most vast of any game ever as opposed to ds1 ds3 being all about that first flame, the Lord of Cinder, Gwyn, um, Soul of Cinder. Those are all around the same storyline. It's all the same world, the same universe. You know, back before time, man rose up against the dragons, and that's how we got where we are. Straightforward answer. As opposed to the lands between, making it seem like, you know, there's whole other lands way off to the left. It's the lands between. It's between what? you know so realms and different so yeah so it's just much more in depth much more deep it goes much further down and um yeah certainly worth i'm discovering things every new playthrough doing different quest lines i think for my next playthrough i'll probably do the gold mask quest line uh i'll do uh nefeli lose quest line i'll do box quest line and i think that might be my only focus for this next playthrough and then after that i do the dung eater and then i'm going to finish up with the age of fracture after that but um but by the reason i'm leaving the last one for that is because i'm just going to be running it as fast as i can because i think because that's when the enemies stop scaling but i'm already experiencing difficulty at you know journey three and four so it's we'll yeah. see where i'm at but i'm just going to want to finish it as quickly as possible that last playthrough but but um yeah. but yeah it's it's all fantastic it's all good stuff and you look at every time like melina opens the game with a tarnished wants to become elden lord even though that would violate the golden order nowhere else like everywhere else in the game it seems to suggest that queen merica is calling to the tarnished to try to become elden lord willingly instead um and you're encouraged to do that but melina comes up and you're like oh no no that that actually violates the golden order so i don't know what you're doing and that's so that's just so interesting to me it's like so merica is calling to you despite her going against the greater will. And maybe that's right. perhaps why she's been chained up on that, on her great rune eternally is because of that, because of her defiance, you know? So that's just, that's super interesting to me. Yeah. And Merica, like I will say as a symbol too, works really well throughout the game. Yeah. Um, basically on everything. <laughs> yep. Um, but like the outstretched arms, we just become so iconic that by the end, like honestly, in my opinion, very satisfying boss um at the time i wasn't really clear what the difference between america and radagon was i was really confused about that but like to see like oh that symbol 
is now like the thing that's protecting the Elden Ring. And I had seen that in churches, obviously like the summoning mm-hmm. statues, I think <clears throat> are America as well. And yep. like the, she's talked about, obviously the goddess of the realm. So like, that was just a very satisfying, like, Oh man, it culminated into me fighting the alternate America Radagon. That's a question, Jared explain to me, America and Radagon in three sentences or less, because <laughs> I am still confused about what's going There's on a, there. In in the Queen's bedchambers, uh, you can talk to Melina, and her option says, it's spoken words of Queen America linger here. Would you like to hear them? And it's something along the lines of Radagon, loyal, leal, uh, some leal hound of the Golden Order, you know, someone who's dedicated to the Golden Order, you are yet to become a god. You are yet to become me. But, you know, then something, you know, about her other half or something like that. The, the other me, let us both burn together or something like that. And it paints this picture of Queen America as this very cunning individual working from behind the scenes, which I like that right. portrayal of her. I think that's brilliant. And that's definitely the influence of George R. R. Martin. As much as I yeah. love Miyazaki, Martin's got a better eye for mystique and and things like that i think uh just looking at his game of thrones series but um but essentially either radagon becomes merica or radagon is merica a broken version of her from the start or perhaps she split off herself if she's able to so let's think about this if great runes are this is my explanation i don't know if it's true but if great runes are the personalization of each character like millennia is the goddess of rot right because of what I don't know how that happened. Maybe she's possessed or whatever else. Maybe she's rejected her role as the goddess of rot. I don't know, but essentially she is the goddess of goddess of rot and her great rune reflects that her great rune looks like scarlet rot. Um, that looks different from the others. Moog's great rune. He's the Lord of blood is looks like it's made of blood. And that's very interesting to me. Perhaps great runes, are an indication of the personality of the shard bearer or perhaps their whatever, like who the heck knows. The shattering of the Elden Ring was is both a war and an event. She shattered the Elden Ring. Its shard bearer, its shards were dispersed or given or perhaps they've always been part of it. Like I'm not sure when they were given, but they eventually changed into who they are. So if yeah. Radagon is Queen Merica, perhaps he is just a split personality of her side, the side of herself that trusts the Golden Order and tried to mend the Elden Ring, whereas she herself is the part that's questioning it. Because there is some dialogue that suggests that she's questioning things um, and she's no longer going to have blind belief. She's going to start to investigate what's actually going on in the Golden Order. And so it's hard to say. It's like if he became her or if he always was her. But I really like this idea that Radagon has always been Queen Merica and simply was part of her that went and seduced Renala for the sake of peace. Like the solution yeah. to the fire giants was to curse the last, the, the, god, the fell giant, which the fell omen, I think just refers to a, a god that's been defeated, right? Um, so the fell omen, you know, Margit the fell or whatever else, he's been defeated already. Um, the, or rejected. But the, um, uh, blah, blah, blah. what's the word I'm looking for? So the the fell um, the giant the fell giant is the last is the god of the giants and he inhabits that last fire giant which is cursed to protect the forge of the flame by himself forever for all eternity. 
but the rest of the giants throughout the mountaintops of the giants have been killed by uh Horolu and the the you know the the army of the Erd tree so they've already been destroyed and ruined so Radon, um Renala's Renala and the Carrion royal family and the academy were all ready to withstand the onslaught of the Erd tree and instead Radagon which is the part of um Merica, perhaps that is more like cunning or whatever else went and seduced Renala, and that's how she made peace because she's a woman she knows how to win a woman's heart because she is a woman so it's just the male you see what i'm saying so like i don't know i like that version i like portraying Merica as this cunning individual who is deceiving both gods and man and is working yeah. for her own ends to how this this whole thing should play out i like that idea um whose side she, do you end up on in the end exactly you don't know because she doesn't show up in any of the final cutscenes. It's not like she. You know, how cool would it be if there was a secret seventh ending in which you got Merica's ending, as we'll call it, which is where you achieve a certain ending under certain conditions, and all of a sudden you're sitting on the throne and you see this hand and some golden hair like rest on your shoulder, and you're like, "Oh shoot!" Right? Like that was the ending Merica wanted. Whatever it was that you did, that's the one she wanted. Um, you know, so it's it's just hard to say. It's you know, is Merica dead? She's certainly in pieces. She inhabits the Golden Order. Radagon has his own seal, and um, his his runes are a crisscross lattice pattern, which, ironically, lattices are a common way to have uh, plant, plants grow, is on a lattice. That's interesting. Um, but the, the, the lattice work, is that actually a great rune? Is that Radagon's great rune? Or is that just you know, part of the golden order, the seal, you know, there's so much going on and I don't know, but I love, you know, I love talking about it, but, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's hard to say. I like the idea that Merica and Radagon have always been the same person, except that Radagon was her way of getting out of the Erd tree because Queen America never Mm. actually goes on these outings. She never goes and conquers the giants. She needs Godfrey to do it. And then perhaps it was part of her master plan to send him away so that he could come back and free her. Right. If he's free from the Golden Order, then he's outside of the realm of influence of the Greater Will. Therefore, he can defeat the Greater Will, release Merica, all this different stuff. If Radagon was always Merica, then he went and made peace with Renala so that maybe Rani could free Merica later. Like, there's so, there, I don't know. There's so many possibilities. So, it's um, interesting. It's, yeah, it, there's a lot of different takes on it. I like a lot of the YouTubers' takes because they're crazy. The crazier, the better, the more interesting it is. But, uh, yeah. but yeah. I need to watch a few more, I think. I appreciate the, like, I think Dark Souls kind of gets away with some lack of depth because they have their, like, infinite cycle in there, you know? Right, exactly, Um, yeah. Yeah. And I appreciate with Elden Ring, which it does seem like there's kind of a cycle of trees or something going on. So maybe there is a little bit of something there. Yeah, it seems like there used to be a, a big tree, probably the Erd tree itself, that was taken over because you can graft trees, plants. You can you can cut a hole out of a tree and place a limb. You can cut off a limb and place it in the tree, and they'll grow together. And there's a triangle section of the Erd tree right behind the throne where you walk up, where it's not glowing golden. And so it's perhaps that is the old tree, and the Erd tree is the greater will took took over right. the primor- yeah the primordial form of the original tree. Um, you know, so there's, you know, the, the, a bunch of speculation hypothesis. The crucible could be part of that, um, worship the primordial form of the Erd tree, 
you know, so the, before the greater will took over. It seems like the greater will is an outside force that sent its envoy, the envoy being the Elden Beast itself, to inhabit the Erd Tree. Maybe that's where it gets the gold from. So much going on. Are the three yeah. fingers and the two fingers one and the same part of the hand? <laughs> or uh-huh. the original, the one, you know? <laughs> There's so much. There's so much to talk about. Right. No, and, and, and like, to wrap it all up on my my end of things like it's it's very lord of the rings and it's layers of like ages it feels like there's yes, like an age of, yes like i really love that like i just appreciate yes. that um yeah it's like it seems like obviously you know the the previous whatever tree but then you know the golden order getting established the greater will coming to this part of the world and then they face off against the dragons seems like way back when and then there was also a previous giant encounter and there's like remnants of those ages throughout the world so like you're still interacting with them maybe in limited fashion now um but then you get as it gets closer and closer to where you are like there is like very clear evidence of the shattering war that happened yes. pretty recently in history. I mean, obviously with Caled uh, being covered in rot, but I'm assuming most of the ruins that you're seeing, especially in um, Limgrave at the start, like there's just like a ton of, that was like one of the first things that made an impression on me is like, what are all these ruins? What exactly yeah. happened? Like what was here before? Like the, the castle itself still seems pretty intact. So where did these other ruins come from? And in my mind, it's pretty clear it's it was remnants of the shattering, um, which tells me that this was fairly recent. Like no other kingdom has been established there. There hasn't been someone to go and clean all this stuff up yet. Like they're still recovering from what happened right then before. And so, like you feel all that throughout the world, and you see all yeah. that, and it makes you feel like very much Lord of the Rings esque, where it's like, oh, this is the the age of the ring you know and it's like you're experiencing that and you're a part of this grand fantasy which honestly dark souls just didn't give you that impression and a lot of series don't have the cohesive lore to put something like that in place like i immediately think of again kind of going back to breath of the wild but like the zelda series has a really hard time because they just didn't think through their lore very well yes um that's a good and point. this this is well thought out on a level that just like makes it all very cohesive and clear. But with with Zelda, like you can tell they didn't put as much thought into it, and so now they've gotten themselves into a pickle as they've expanded all these crazy timeline theories and whatnot. Um, but to reach the next level of of um, I guess you could say storytelling. Um, yeah, storytelling, but. Um, minutia and and detail is impressive and obviously martin had a hand in that but they went all out for it and in each area of this game they went all out um but the lore definitely backs that up and it does it because of that layering i think of ages it just it feels very rich Mm. and exciting yeah i do Um. i do think 
and maybe I'll ask this of you first, Jared. I do think there are a couple of weak main characters. Um, who would you say is like the weakest kind of main demigod or uh, person involved in the conflict? Weakest. Yeah. Maybe um, I'll let you think about it. In my mind, it's Margot. Margot and even Moog, a little bit more interesting. Uh, but Margot really fell, not flat to me, but just was not as exciting as a lot of the other bosses. Um, both from a lore perspective and also a fight. But I'm thinking lore side of things. He just didn't seem particularly, I don't know, well thought out or interesting to me. Yeah, if you are so Morgot and Moog are they have great runes that were and I think this makes the most sense, right? They have great runes that were given to them at birth because otherwise they shouldn't have great runes because they're omens, both of them. They have horns growing out of their face. Um they're supposed to be if you're an omen born of royal blood, you don't lose your horns. Um you are cast to the dungeons, but they don't cut off your your horns. Omen means born with horns, right? And, and, born, um, and it's like a, it's considered a curse. It's considered yes, a bad thing. Yes, an omen curse. Yeah, and um, so Morgoth eventually becomes the omen king and calls himself king and takes over the capital city of Landell because he is dedicated to the Golden Order. He calls each of the other demigods, the Shardbearers, traitors for turning their backs on the Erd Tree and going their own way, which is another reason why Radon confuses me. It's like, why is Radon a traitor? He loved the Golden Order. He loved his father, Radagon. Um, and he also has armor based on Horolu's uh, Sarash, like the, 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 the lion. So why, why is he a traitor? That's another reason why he's confusing to me. But Morgoth is, just represents... The, um, the final barrier to the Erd Tree as the protector of the Erd Tree. Godfrey is coming back. The reason you fight him is because there can't be two Elden Lords, but he's coming back to be granted audience to challenge the Elden Beast, uh, you, you know, because he was, he, maybe he wasn't ready. Maybe that's why Queen Merica sent him away. I don't know. But Morgoth and Moog stand as like two opposites of each other. You can't see me, but I'm holding my fingers apart. I'm trying to demonstrate. <laughs> but um, the... Uh, I got it. He, I got it in my head now. Yes, he represents what it means to be dedicated to the Golden Order, despite the fact that it does, it does not love him back. And that says it very clearly in his Great Rune, I think, or one of his weapons, I can't remember. But um, Moog uh, instead chose to uh, appreciate his omen power and leaned into the hatred that the Erd Tree gave to him and created his, it found the Formless Mother that way and all this different stuff. So um, the... Morgoth's an interesting character, but he serves to as the last bastion of loyalty to the Golden Order, um, as the last shardbearer who's loyal to the Golden Order. So he's interesting, but very straightforward. And I think if yeah. that's what you mean by weak, I would totally agree with you. There's really no one else. Everyone else I guess is much maybe, more yeah. complex, much more interesting, uh, much more compelling. Um, it's yeah. hard to say weak about anything in this game, so... True. Maybe yeah. that is the wrong word, but the idea I'm trying to convey is, yeah, probably least interesting, which remains to say that it is interesting. Like, but I would say I think the most interesting thing about Morgoth is that he's an omen, mm. and that can be applied to a lot of different characters. So, otherwise, he's just another descendant of America, but this one's loyal to the Golden Order. Yeah. Um. 
So outside of that, but once you throw in the omen side of things, it does make it more interesting. Yeah. Um, and I like that duality there too, between like the beauty and the like grotesqueness. And there's a yes. lot of grotesqueness in this game. Woo. So it's like it's it's heights are beautiful, and then its grotesqueness is quite detailed. Like yeah, I, I love it for that. But there's a lot of fingers, there's a lot of limbs, <laughs> there's a lot of eyeballs. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, so just get used to that, um, yeah. and a lot of other gross things going on. Um, Did you ever get down to the um, the unnamed Forsaken City and kind of see the Prince of Death in his full mermaid like form? No, I never did because I killed Fia before yeah, I finished well, out her quest line. That so is I, I'm planning on doing the, that, but I haven't done that on my second playthrough yet. I don't know how you would have killed Fia, though. She's in the round table hold the whole time. No, she goes down to under the roots. She's well, that's sitting what I'm there. talking about. Right behind her is the Prince of Death. Oh, so I I did. Okay. You so definitely I'm, did I'm, see it. Yeah, it just probably didn't pop out in your memory. But that's that's Lord Godwin. I see. Yeah. Because he's so the Prince of Death. That's Interesting. Def- yeah, that's the most grotesque the game gets. He is ugly. Yeah. <laughs> he is ugly, <laughs> dude. Yeah. yeah. But, but nah, it's good it's, stuff yeah. all the way around. It is. It is. It's beautiful. Beautiful design and d- amazing lore. Um, who was your favorite Tarnished? Uh, Gideon. Probably, I mean, not really, because okay. I I hate his guts for being a coward, but and he's a bully too. He does a lot of shady things, like um, he kills um, Latena's wolf Lobo. He's the reason she's you know suffering. He's in charge of the uh, uh, a couple of the the I think the Bloodhound Knight that's in that area that's loyal to him. There's an argument to be made that his his sign, the all knowing signal that he uses, is on all the beetles. And so that's how he, the scarabs rather. So that's how he keeps track of your project progress and watches you, which is why if you've beat whatever of the Lords that the demigods you've beaten, he has access to their powers. Um, and so it's interesting, like how that works, like, why is that the case? But, Hmm. um, so he, I hate him and love him the most, but his, his voice actor is gripping for sure. Oh yeah. Uh, Oh yeah. And, um, and, uh, he does a lot of the lore heavy lifting too. So he does. Yeah. It's great that it comes from from a good voice actor so he's probably my favorite and my most hated um but yeah yeah why i think why? i i think Did i'd you agree. say the same yeah yeah a lot of the other tarnished are i think they're unfortunately they're shallow and this is i would say yeah. that they that like for instance um one of the most likable characters is the guy who sells you the prawns um the boil prawn guy yeah yeah, yeah blackguard he's like Got some boiled prawns for you. Um, he's fantastic. <laughs> you said he's he's got the most likable. Yeah, well, he is likable. Um, he's like, I think we could be mates. Um, <laughs> I've, I've never met anyone with a taste for prawn I couldn't trust. He's fantastic. He's like, he's very uh, weird and like, and his quest line ends very miserably with the the dung eater oh. defiling him. Um, oh, so, yeah, exactly. So that's that's like horrible. But other, but. One of the issues, like, or Millicent's quest line is great, but, like, I feel like it doesn't go far enough. Like, sh- you do so much work for her quest line, so much work, um, almost as much as you do for Ronnie's quest line, and yet you still, she just kind of, like, yeah. dies to, yeah. at the end. And uh, But you get the unalloyed golden needle, 
which you can use to reverse the frenzied flame ending. But at that point, like the chances of you doing the frenzied flame ending and then getting all the way to millennia are very slim because they just don't coincide at all. You, you know, you, they're very independent of each other. So it's weird that you have to do two. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's funky, but can you keep the unalloyed needle when you first get it in the swamp of Aeonia? And then just use that at the end of the Frenzied Flame storyline? That's or to a good stop it? question. I don't think so, because I think you have to give it to Gauri to, for him to repair it. I think it says Oh, that's right. Yeah, he does it. do yeah. something with it. But then he gives it back to you and tells you to yeah, give it to Yeah, that's a good question. Millicent. I don't know. That's a good I question. haven't finished that one yet, but I've been, I've been doing that one pretty recently, so... I'll have um, to I'll have to consider that. I'll have to look at that real quick. But that's um, interesting. Yeah, but Millicent is has definitely a connection to Millennia, but it's like weird what hers is. Is like is it um are they the same? Are they clones? What's going on here? So I don't I don't know. But it's it's uh certainly interesting all around. I love all of it. And I can't get enough of it really. I, I cannot wait until there's a DLC. And I hope we don't have to wait a very long time but we probably will. I don't think we will. And I think they know what they have here. So, I mean, they've already made some fairly significant updates and I think that's just going to keep rolling out. Yeah. Um, what do you think? I mean, obviously this game is beautiful, 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 just like head to toe. Um, obviously the scale of it, the, the little detail is awesome. Like the fire effects, I think were really cool. Those stood out to me right away. Um, even like the wind going through the trees and stuff. But mm, uh, mm. what do you think was, I guess the best example of like the game's level of design? Um, um, as far as like effects go or just like in the world itself, like cohesive design maybe is a better way to put it. Like where it just yeah. like all work together perfectly. Yeah. The, um, <clears throat> The ability to layer the underground areas, I think, really cemented it in my mind is probably the best map that they've ever created, the best world they've ever created for uh, a FromSoft game. Now, DS1, yeah. I think, is better than DS3, um, and I think DS1 is better than Sekiro, and I also like DS1 better than Bloodborne, I kind of-ish, yes. I, I would actually say that, yes. But... Elden Ring and DS1 are tightly competitive for originality and, you know, thematic elements and different stuff like that. And there's something very special about Elden Ring's design, like the wind through the trees and, you know, the rain and the the different... Like, it makes the world feel so much more real. It pulls you in. It sucks you into the world. It makes you feel like you're actually there. And I think the... The, it really shines through with their reuse and use of draw distance and um, the underground areas being multiple run-throughs. So, like, when you first do the underground area with Blythe, you're going through the Siofra well, and then you have to come back and redo the area because it has a second higher level that you can only get to once you go through the um, hole that Radon creates. And um, so, like, there's a whole bunch of... There's a whole bunch of stuff that goes on that really just showcases their ability to put together a beautiful world. And that glowing purple sky, the fake sky, actually, like, oh, my goodness, come on. The hues and the blues and the oranges and the reds, it's tremendous. It's absolutely beautiful. It's tremendous. 
and I always play my games with extra brightness, and um, I play it with as high as my 4K TV will let me go, you know, um, and I, you know, always adjust for, like, the highest image quality possible to get the full experience, and it's, yeah, it's the bomb diggity, for sure. Do you uh, play I, performance or um, frame rate? Um, I don't remember what it said at. I actually just adjusted the other day, but I don't remember what it said at. But, um, but, uh, I probably have it on the recommended settings, but I, I think the underground areas probably demonstrate that the best, but I could easily make a case that like what your favorite area is, the Altus Plateau is just flawless. It's so beautiful. The connections between each of the areas too are really great. And, um, it's just, it, it flows in such wonderful ways. And I love that they give you options to go around things and tackle things at different times. Um, it's world just in its own way is amazing, fantastic. I mean, the design of it is out of this world. And that goes just to the aesthetic. Like when you think about design of enemies, I know we talked about combat already, but even like just animation within your own character. Mm-hmm. Like this is like, I could not have imagined this if we were back in... 2007 playing dark souls like yeah i could not imagine it looking like this playing like this feeling as smooth as it is now that works both ways because it makes the game way harder (laughs) um because the enemies are just so silky smooth finely tuned um but man like in design just across the board uh i guess you can make an argument for a music design not being the greatest i don't know how you felt about that but otherwise i think like no flaw not a single flaw um, it hits you it hits you where it counts i think like caleb is that creepy unnerving music i hate the music in caleb because it's so unnerving um but the final boss battle like is absolutely amazing well, well the radagon fight obviously like in the title oh my goodness so they they kill you in two two crucial areas and it's the same score but like the radagon boss fight and the opening title sequence when it's like it leads up to the dun dun da da dun and the drums and all that it's the best it's the, it gets me yes, hyped absolutely. every time i play the game every time and i plug in my headphones and i always have the volume up so i can get in the right mindset to go Smack there you go. in the lands between yeah for sure radagon for um, sure is the most iconic like yeah. by the time i beat him which took me a long time uh, a lot of tries Same. uh even karina like had the song down and like liked it like was okay with it like oh yeah it's it's iconic for sure um yeah but i think some of the emptiness of the world i i could have used a little bit more music i don't know um there's a lot of just not sound um yeah you're just running around on torrent which you Mm. fill in with action i guess but in the breeze through the trees like very very elemental sounds for sure um yeah like how how much does the breeze stir in ds3 and ds1 like not at all no yeah so yeah yep um and then outside of like maybe the weeping peninsula i think for the most part everything feels rich and uh fulfilling and exciting doesn't fall flat Mm-hmm. Um, this is a world while while worthy to be explored uh yeah. so much to discover and like i said just the design of it just works so freaking well together i can't even i can't even comprehend it sometimes so and do um, you remember i don't know if you remember this do you remember my complaint about ds uh ds3 and ds1 i think maybe 
Like I actually, it actually bothered me how empty an Orlando was. Do you remember me saying that? Sure. Yep. Yep. This game fixes that issue. Now, Landell Capital City is still empty of its patrons. However, however, there's something going on with like the beeswax looking stuff sealing up every door in Landell. That is very mm. like suspect things going on, and like it almost like tells you like they sealed all the doors and houses, and there's there's rooms in which the perfumers are where there's a bunch of bodies laying around that are labeled as commoners. Now, it's obviously it's the same character replicated throughout the world, so it's a little boring, it's a little annoying to me, but that's okay, it's not a huge deal. But, like, the Academy does a good job of making their sorcerers be people in the academy who are studying as well as enemies. Sure. I really like yeah. that. The knights Kinda scattered like throughout Town the Alpha Sorcery Plateau. Too. Yep, Sel- yep, Celia. Um, there's characters that appear to live there as well as being enemies, and I really enjoyed that, as opposed to... The creeps to, in the windmills? The yes. midsummer characters is what yep, I said? Yep, <laughs> that's fantastic. Yes, that's a perfect yeah. example. Um, the that, sewers and, felt like... Yep. Like, those dudes are all down there. No, I Yeah, think and that makes sense. That's what that. they... Yeah, yeah. So they really solve that problem, and the world doesn't feel as empty. There's, sol- there's roaming bands of soldiers everywhere, giving the world some, like, lack of... Like, like a lack of emptiness. Even the consecrated snowfields. You either run into the Dark Knight's Calvary and the trolls pulling the, the armored wagons um, with the battalions running around, or you run into the Albanorics on wolves. And... Um, yeah, there's there's so it there's helps. so much going on. Yeah, it helps that there's a big buttload of NPCs too. Like, yeah, they are all over the place. They all got a story to tell you about where they're at. Like, that really helps. Like, even some of the basic merchants. Like, even just seeing that makes it feel populated. You know, and oh, yeah. and they're all telling you different things, and you're following through. You're given you know, the, the grape finger, grape, nasty things to that one blind chick. And, uh, <laughs> you're taking, you're talking to Bach, the seamster and saving him from a cave. And, uh, you're finding iron fist Alexander stuck in a, in a hill, you know, and you got to bop him out. Like, yep. You're Volcano running around and it's actually, and inhabited. it feels yep. alive. Yeah. Yep. Um, so that, yeah, for sure. This game does that far better than any other from software game i don't know if it's the best open world game at that that's kind of a thing for especially like red dead um is immediately comes to my mind but even assassin's creed in a way so i don't know if it's like the absolute best but it has that mystery um the subtle explanation that from software always does um i guess vague is a good word but it's not yeah. always too vague in this game at least so it has that aspect to it as you encounter these NPCs, which is both fun and frustrating. It can be frustrating. Um, though they have fixed a little bit of that by adding the icons on the map. Nonetheless, um, that helps to also make this whole game come alive. So it's like it's just all these little things working together, like mm-hmm. everything weaving together. The, the design of the world, the enemies, the NPCs, obviously the main characters, and then the lore just stacked on behind all of that. It's, man, I don't know. I love it, dude. I, I can't say enough about yeah. how much I just freaking love this game. It certainly is uh, near perfection, that's for sure. It is. It is. Now, what do you think about 
um, weaknesses. Now, you're saying that this is not the best combat in From Software history. I think I'd agree with Sekiro. Do you think that any of the main types of combat are particularly weak in this game? Yes. Um, Um, the, The Dragon Communion combat specifically is very hard to utilize correctly in game. There's a lot of weapons that are generic. And then because you are, because it is an open world RPG, you are collecting weapons and outfits regularly. And I really wish that on subsequent playthroughs, I can sort my chest, yes, but that's like, it's an extra step. If they would just throw duplicates in my chest, they already do that when I run out of storage for like dragon grease, you know what I mean? They'll throw it in my storage. But there's like a couple of weapons in the in the combat side of things that like they're just too weak. They can't be used. I'd like to theoretically assume that every weapon, when maxed out, could be used in a special way. You know what I'm saying? Um, I'd I'd like to think that. But there seems to be like one or two weapons that really like just push the envelope. And if you're not using these six or seven weapons, then you're just not utilizing it to your full potential. Um, so, but the Ashes of War kind of solved that problem. Um, a little bit, but it almost makes it more complicated. You have some ashes of war that can be put on some weapons and not on others. Um, yeah. And I almost wish that there was perfect ubiquity between the ashes of war and the weapons. Like a single ash of war could be applied to every single weapon. It's just a status effect. But that kind of takes away from things being special or unique. Unique, but yeah. But like for I think instance, I'd err more on that side of things. Yeah, America's America's hammer, for instance. When you finally get that, like. You're in the air to do that blow, but it's not worth it because you can still be damaged while you're in the air. So you're, like, taking a bunch of hits only to get off a hit that doesn't actually do that much damage. Like, it scales okay, but there's very few weapons that have S-level scaling with whatever attribute it is. There's the Moon Veil, which scales with, like, B-level with intelligence, and then the uh, the Carrion Royal Scepter scales S with intelligence, so that's nice. But then there's things that are, like, weirdly powerful, and, you know, so it's, I think it's just a little bit more balancing here and there. Some things feel OP, other things feel useless. So it's like, I don't really yeah. want to do that. So that's that's no. a little bit of a bummer. The Dragon Communion being the specific spells that are like, they scale well with an Arcane, but they also like are, they don't come out very fast. So it's, it's hard to utilize them in combat effectively. Yeah, no, I agree. I would say, especially with the weapons, the game suffers from that scale. You know, like because it's such a big game, such a long game, you're just going to have things that are on the like S tier scale that break the game or yeah. come close to it or yeah. are just like so clearly the better choice in weapon, um, which I think, you know, it's just an RPG problem. You can have that same issue like in Borderlands you're going through and like by the time you get to the end of the game, the game, the guns you're using then like all the guns you used in between are completely worthless to you, you know? Yeah. yeah. So you're just going to eventually trade up. Um, yeah. And like <clears throat> in, in sorceries and Elden ring, like I have like what, like six different glintstone shards and I use yeah. the, I use the pebble and then I use the comet shard right now, but I'm planning yeah. on using the comet Azure and the comet um, once I get enough points on, but like there's just a bunch of now useless spells that I'm like, I'm not, I'm not going to use them. Yeah. Uh, at the time that I got it, it was really nice because it was slightly better, but now it's been dwarfed by the Comet and the Comet Azure. So it's like, at some point, 
like you just got to accept that that's going to be the case. But I do think, honestly, that Dark Souls 2, especially and 3 as well, really nailed like the balance of their weaponry. There was totally a lot agree. more like you could take yeah. you could take just a basic um, uh, lance at the beginning of the game and carry that with you all the way to the end of the game if you honed it in proper ways. Yep. Um, same thing that's with exact- Dark Souls 1. That's but- exactly what I did, actually. Like that, The reason I succeeded in DS3 is just because I just kept leveling my weapon more than I leveled my character, and it worked. Yeah, I think you're And you right. can get all those cool, exciting side weapons and whatnot, um, but there seems to be a fairly good balance. I know in 2, especially, like you could add a lot of customization to... Um, like how your weapon lended itself to its build, which I think you can do in three too, but uh, I just remember doing it a lot more in two and they just seem to capture that weapon balance a little bit better. That made a lot more of the weaponry tantalizing mm-hmm. and in Alden ring, that's just not the case. There's like clear winners in every category. Yeah. And that's just, I don't know why it didn't work out, but that is something maybe, tying it to the largeness of it and the open worldness of it i don't know um but it, that is a factor here that i would say does weaken its combat system um it has a lot of variety but then clear winners within that variety so yeah like for instance like th- there are some big well it doesn't have the callback either like for instance ds3 has like smo's hammer like that's so cool you can use the the ham- hammer from ds1 to you know, beat do beatdowns in DS3, and so the weapons are. You got the ridiculous. Moonlight Greatsword, don't you? You do, uh, yeah. But he's not very useful. Like you have to use the L2 to power it up, and then R2 does a launch attack, but it doesn't go that far. And then R1. Well, is but just I'm a saying like it's thing. a it's a callback though, Loki. Like to other to yes to to other games, yes, yeah. I, I guess I see your point. Um, but I, once we have like. Elden Ring 2, you see what I'm saying? Like, if you have, if you yeah. find Morgoth's sword in Elden Ring 2, you're like, oh, that's super dope. But it doesn't yeah. seem to have, it's not going to have the same culture, I don't think, that the original trilogy of Souls games will, uh, as far as, like, weaponry. So I I would agree with you, it is a little weaker than the Souls games in weapons. They just seem much cooler in um, DS1, 2, and 3. And the variety, like I said, is there. So, like, there's all kinds of different weapon arts. Even in them, though, like, there's clear winners. Um, But it's still fun to use all the different Ashes of War, depending on what weapon you're using. So, like, swapping them out and trying them, it's still fun. Um, And I appreciate the variety of its combat. I think each, like, direction other than Arcane is fairly strong. Like, there's a lot of really great strength weapons and and pieces of um armor and then same with dexterity i played dexterity my first playthrough feels a lot more like direct dark souls to me so so i kind of just took that approach with it but now i'm playing through as a mage and that has a ton of perks honestly i feel like they nail magic in this game in a way that i did not expect yes i honestly did not expect that because i feel like that's a strong a strong suit of especially dark souls 2 and 3 i think one was just trying it out for the first time. <laughs> I mean, you got stuck right. with it, so yeah, uh, you could tell that story. But here, I think, in a way I did not expect, they do it almost even better. And I yeah. think that comes down to like the variety of sorceries. I mean, mm-hmm. you've got your glintstone, obviously, mm-hmm. is the basic, but then you've got all your um, like silent sorceries, the yep. uh, stealth ones, and then yep. you have like the briar-focused ones, which 
I don't know how effective they are, but they're cool. (laughs) Um, uh, The night sorceries, um, all this like layer within that one major category. Whereas in Dark Souls, it was like, I guess you had faith and sorcery uh, magic, but then you, the the only other thing in that category would be like pyromancy. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I just felt like there was a lot more like intrinsic depth within the different categories of the magic in Elden Ring. So I loved it. I loved it. Yeah. I'm enjoying I, my second playthrough because of that. I would agree. Dragon spells and blood spells uh, scale with arcane nicely. Gravity, glinstone, um, and some of the fire sorcery scale with like intelligence and some other things as well. Faith. Faith is faith and sorcery are the two that like they really do very nicely in this game. Um, Arcane still has a little bit of catching up to do outside of the Rivers of Blood Katana. Um, but, like, the... Yeah, certainly... Oh, and another thing that they really need to work on, seriously, is bows. Like, you've got to make using bows yeah. a viable play option. It's always so weak, and it, like, it really needs to be worked on. I'd say that's definitely a weak aspect. I think that um, Dark Souls 3 did a fairly good job with them, but in this one, they definitely feel like they got left behind compared to most of the other things and magic and faith really got the limelight like they are the focus i feel like yeah um even just like the aesthetic in them i just love dude yes yeah for Um, sure yeah yeah another really cool original like you wouldn't think that they could come up with new ways to visualize magic but here you are um so awesome Awesome stuff all around. I think the combat, though, still strong. Um, A rating for me. Do you have any other gripes, Jared? I'm not sure if there's something else you want to jump to jump into in depth. Um, if there was any other major topic you wanted to broach before we wrap up. No, music music is a little weaker than in previous games. Like I think of like the music that played for Lord of Gwyn, um, the music that played for. Ornstein and Smo, um, some some other things um, like the DS One music is really good. Uh, Sekiro's music is fantastic as well. Elden Ring, other than the um, Radagon fight and the opening title screen being the same, the only other points that stand out are like the 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 Regal Ancestor fights, pretty pretty beautiful, um, and like the Legends Feld in addition to the bosses, that's really cool. Like House Mirai, the Shaded Castle. Elmer of the Briar, uh, yeah. Astel, Natural Boy of the Void, some of these, the Lich Dragon Fortisax, who is fighting the death within the Prince of Death so he can keep his friend alive, Godwin's friendship with the the dragons and, and other things like that. Like, lots going on that we could have talked about that are all just minor touches compared to the, the overwhelming, you know, size that is Elden Ring. I would just say that the the voice acting in this game is the best it has ever been in any FromSoft game. It Absolutely. is hands down fantastic in every character, every single character. Selin the Witch, uh, Jaren, Gideon, um, White Mask Vare, uh, they're all fantastic, dude. Blythe, oh my good, Ronnie, Rena, uh, Melina, dude, 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 dude.
love the intro guy too. Don't forget. Yes. Him. Yes. The all-knowing is my favorite <laughs> yeah. of all time. Yes. Ah, oh, just fantastic, dude. He's like so just elated fantastic. for no reason. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's but, like really no, into I, it. I, he's I like, totally you didn't agree. give me a main character, but I'm gonna nail this narration. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. my goodness. No, I I I definitely agree with you on that. I think your character being vocal is a little weird still. Like, especially I mean, Dark when you Souls die. Character. It's just so annoying. Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> it's so, Ugh. yeah, it's, it's very loud and like screeching for way too long. It's like, yep. okay. Like in Bloodborne, he go like, ah, and then you just fall over. Like, I'll be okay with that. But the loud, long screams. Yep. Yeah. A little overbearing. A little bit. All right. Well, then, I mean, I I feel like if you want, we can continue to chat about this um, in another episode. I think as general impressions, this is a great start. I am sure there are so many other things. And maybe this is homework for us. Like if we can come up with enough for one other podcast, I think we very well might. I know we covered things in general, but maybe there's some more specific details we can touch on. And maybe that's something that comes to our mind after. But Maybe we'll do that for another episode, uh, or maybe even just for a short segment. But nonetheless, I think um, I don't even know if we need to vote. But uh, I think this is a Hollow Games member. What do you think, Jared? Oh, absolutely. It's all right. Yeah, you know, absolutely. One of the, one of the greatest games I will ever play, hands down. I agree. Uh, greatest one to date, and uh, certainly. If it doesn't win Game of the Year in many different competitions this year, I'll be shook. But that just depends on like what comes out later this year. But like Forbidden West couldn't hold a candle to it. I feel bad for their release dates being very close. Oof, that yeah. sucks. But um, but it is what it is. It's it's a fantastic game for sure. It's not. I I think it has no peer right. as far as not currently no. Yeah, as far as like what it all does right and. I think being at the forefront of what is going to be something I think that we look back on as such a legendary moment for years to come is awesome. Like I love being at the forefront of that and experiencing it as it came out before everybody knew what it was like, that's awesome. I'm never going to get that experience ever again. So I got to have that though with Elden ring. Um, so I, I, I can't say enough about it. I, I love every second. Um, I love all the different times that it reminded me that it's from software. I loved how it, uh, had still like it's classic Dark Souls limited areas like they still managed to get that on the map through mm-hmm. castles and things and so like that's great I'm so glad that they kept that sort of stuff there um, their bosses they went just for a whole new level with them which is awesome obviously with the lore the same we've talked about all this but like it's it's a game that comes around like this is a once in a lifetime sort of experience i feel like and i i challenge anybody to like hold up uh uh, and put together a game that uh is as original as while put together as cohesive a package as Elden ring is and um to also still be so dedicated and focused on what its core principles have been the whole time no like, yeah just for sure so yeah. masterful so masterful in so many different ways so uh, obviously in the hall of games 
we should we i think we have in the past ranked our our games in the hall of games we might do that again i'd be curious to have that conversation if elden ring is number one my thought is perhaps i don't know we got hades in there um uh, i think as far as nigh perfect games that one's on there maybe dark souls can hold a candle to it um as that pioneer uh, who knows maybe we'll have that conversation we'll see yeah we but, should definitely have that conversation later this year uh and perhaps think after so. after the next god of war game even maybe but, yeah uh, but yeah for sure any final thoughts jared before we wrap up um no sir i think we covered most of it um i i would just challenge if you know if you've listened this far um you've got some perseverance for listening to the two of us uh uh, you know, talk this long, I would just say that you need to apply that same perseverance to playing Elden Ring. Do not give up, please. I'm telling you. Getting yeah. into the Souls games, I have a personal thank you, a big fat thank you. This is why I hug Josh tightly every time I see him <laughs> because he introduced me to the Souls games and now to Elden Ring. And I have eternal gratitude in my heart for the hundreds of enjoyed hours I've played these games for and uh, nothing but thanks for my friend Josh here. And I would just say stick with it. It's a tremendously rewarding game. It's beautiful in every sense of the word, and it will it will absolutely be worth your time. Jared, if you could choose, if you were the man to make the decision on what From Software did next for their next title, what would it be? I would say take over Bethesda's rights, uh, fire... Um, whatever his name is, Tom something, something or other, and uh, make a better Skyrim. <laughs> uh, no, nah, I mean, that's a little late <laughs> to say. I really don't know. I There's there's questions in the uh, community whether Miyazaki wants to keep doing this for the rest of his life. He seems like the type of person that wants to challenge himself and wants to push boundaries and create new things. And so I don't know if he'll keep doing Souls-likes. Who the heck knows what he'll do? You know what I mean? Like, so it it's it remains to be seen. I think seen. that's their bread and butter, though. You know, right? If it works, why why break it? And it's been commercially successful. Um, yeah. They're still relative. Like if you look at video game sales in just aggregate, Rockstar wins. They have Red Dead oh, yeah. Redemption. They have GT, GTA. The whole series. Like you can't beat that stuff. But in terms of fan followings, cult favorites, uh, dedication, loyalty, and creativity, I think From Software is one of the greatest video game companies ever to. Uh, work on this planet and uh, I uh, they deserve all the esteem and praise and whatever they do I'll buy it I can promise you that I feel like they should do something smaller scale yeah maybe just as like a maybe a shorter project you know and also like less of a um, burden to top what they've already done also kind of a change in pace from Elden Ring and the monstrous meal that that was like, I think that would be the best way for them to go, whether that's like Bloodborne two or an original game about mechs. And that's oh, in, dude, mechs? from oh, soft dude. form. Mechs. I don't know. I mean, they did. Um, what's the mech series? They armored from software Corp. cut its teeth. Yeah. On armored core. So, I mean, they could like take that aesthetic and then apply it to a souls combat world. That'd be dope. But yeah. Like I think something smaller scale would be better and like just if they ever want to do an Elden Ring 2 or something of this nature, like give it time. Like give it not just 3 years but like 5 
seven, eight years even. Like, let it sit and, yeah. like, let this one be what it is, I think. Yeah. We'll, we'll um, be here while it's ready. Yeah, exactly. Uh, nonetheless, that is not my decision to make. So we'll see what happens in the future. Uh, but I hope they make a documentary been... one day about what it's oh, like yeah. to work at, like, FromSoft under Miyazaki and all that stuff. I would watch the heck out of that. Oh, I was eating up all these different interviews that they had been doing. Um, there was a Game Informer one, and I have a Game Informer subscription right now because that's what I used to get my PS5, <laughs> uh, but it had to be purchased. And nonetheless, I've been getting a bunch of magazines, and there was a whole cover on Alden Ring, and I just I just gobbled that sucker up. It was so interesting. Um, just his philosophy of... Because it was, it was Miyazaki talking about... Uh, how he approached the game and there was like you know questions at the time of the interview it was like demon souls was being released on the ps5 and they were asking like do you feel pressure to make the game look like demon souls which it very much does not um but it's still beautiful in its own way but yeah his mind the way he approached the philosophy behind the game it's lovely um and that goes all the way down to the character design and I can't wait to see what he does next. And I would love a, yes, I would, I would love a documentary. That'd be great. Um, otherwise though, this is the end of the episode. Thank you for listening thus far. If you did long one, chunky one, honestly, we probably did cover just about everything, but we'll see in the next episode. If that is the case, I don't think we have anything else lined up, Jared. Uh, so I cannot announce what our next episode will be over but thank you for taking the time to listen if you agree with us or if you disagree let us know uh are we correct to put it into the hall of games you'd be crazy to say no but maybe you have your opinion um some people i don't know like the the one thing i hear is like nah, it's not for me like that's kind of the biggest thing um objectively it's very hard to say that this is a bad game anyway shape right, or form yeah but nonetheless uh if you if that is your opinion let us know um and you can reach out to us that way And I guess this is the final word here. So this is the Video Game Bard signing off. Thanks for listening, guys.